Hello everyone, welcome to Kill the Cast. My name is Jerry, and joining me as always is the Silent Hill Biker himself. Hi! And not joining me is the ever-quotable Jay. Unfortunately, Jay had some medical stuff going on. He could not be here, but because the show was already uh, like two to three weeks late, he gave us our blessings to go ahead. Um, and, uh, as some of you may know, our original guest was supposed to be the new Brandon from Exploding Heads, but he had stuff going on in his life. He couldn't make it. So we decided, well, when you get the chance to upgrade, you just upgrade. So we brought on <laughs> Watson from Horror Corridor. <laughs> What's up, gentlemen? <laughs> That's hilarious. Funny enough, oh, man. Watson's Skype uh, message says, I miss Brandon. Well, I just changed it. It should say kill the cast with oh, a bunch it, of exclamation points. It does, but I saw it beforehand. Oh, it did say I miss Brandon. I don't know why I wrote that. I think it was a whiskey night and I just wrote a random thing and I wasn't even on Skype. So <laughs> I, I don't know what the hell that's. But yeah, gentlemen, it's good to be podcasting with you again after so damn long. It's How long has it been? I mean, that, when we did the, uh, what was that? That was the last thousand left, left show. That was, a, that was quite a long time ago. Oh, yeah. The definitive last house on the left mm. episode. Ever indeed made. indeed and, I, and i'm sad i i couldn't get the chance to mix it up with jay and can i ask you something about jay though guys what does jay stand for is it jay kwan jay crispy jabari jabril is it Jerry? it is jay kwan he actually is the one that wrote that I song uh, tipsy I <laughs> he seems like the type well rock and roll man i was gonna say if it's if jay stands for jerry that, that would uh Definitely, there'd be a conflict of ideologies there. It'd be kind of crazy. It would. I already do one show with someone else named Jerry, and we don't allow well, him right. to be called Jerry on the show. <laughs> Is he Mr. Venom on that one? Yeah, hey, I, we call him Venom. <laughs> I, I'm not going to call okay. him Jerry with me being Jerry. That's just ridiculousness. Yeah, I've never said my name to another. Ken, I, Kenneth, have you ever called somebody Kenneth? Uh, yeah, actually, we uh, have a real close friend of the family mm. whose first name is Kenneth, and it's always odd when I say his name. Well, do you shorten it? Do you go like Ken or Kenny, or do you go straight up Kenneth? No, I don't disrespect people by calling them Kenny or Ken. Ah, you're a good man. I like that <laughs> Southern hospitality you got going, homie. What if it yeah, was man. Ken from Street Fighter, and he was like, you're going to call this, or you're going to get this Hadouken? I'd rather take the Hadouken. Damn. <laughs> that is freaking hilarious. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, if people prefer... The short version of it, then obviously, you know, they'll introduce themselves as Ken or Kenny. But if somebody introduces themselves as Kenneth, then that's what I call them because I actually prefer to be called Kenneth. I don't really I don't really care to be called Kenny or Ken. There are some people that have known me for a long time that do it. And when I first met them, I was probably too high to give a shit. So they <laughs> still they still call me like Kenny, but there's only like one or two people that do it. If my mom hears it, she'll lose her shit. Oh, way that's awesome yeah you know Come i on. think be i think before the last house episode i i believe i asked jerry or, or i don't think i asked him specifically but i just came up in conversation like uh and, and i just remember jerry saying oh no no he prefers to be called kenneth <laughs> i was like okay all right yeah straight up uh, yeah well you know nobody in my life calls me by my first name everybody calls me watson or some variation like i think yeah my maybe my mom calls me dustin but it's just not a thing so yeah well, that's you, what I was introduced to you as. So. Yeah, yeah. If you have a good last name like Watson, everyone's calling you that. My last name is Herring. That's a fish. Yeah, yeah. my last name is Harris. You know, only people that call me Harris coaches in school. Yeah, yeah and Harris Harris is slang for uh, Bigfoot's penis. So, oh, that's not oh, true. Yeah. I just made that up. Oh, I was gonna say you learn something new every day. 
I'm going to spread that, though. All right, like, from now on, that's that's the new Harris. slang. Hashtag Harris the Bigfoot Penis. I was watching mm-hmm. a porno, and it really needed more Harris. I don't know what was going on. Yes, yeah. I was watching The Geek, and all I could see was that the Harris. Geek. Have you never seen The Geek? It's a 70s uh, movie that's like a softcore porno about people getting raped by Bigfoot. I, I've, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I do know what, yeah. Yeah, I, I've never seen it either. I don't watch Bigfoot porn or anything like that. Don't search my hard drives. Yeah, no, I'm no, no, not at all. Uh, so, speaking of the seventies, I'm sorry, I have to. Uh, you never really commented on that band that I sent you. You know what I'm saying? From this, they're not from the seventies. They just look like they are. Watson, oh, have you ever heard of a band called Lucifer? I have not. If you look, look them up and look at their mm-hmm. pictures and stuff like that, it looks like it came straight out of the out of the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, they st- the band started in two thousand fourteen. Yeah, and they look like Rob Zombie casted a seventies uh, band with his wife as a singer. I mean, oh, you're absolutely right. I, I see it now. Yeah, yeah, How about dude. That? It, it's crazy, and their music sounds that way too. I mean, it's just like if I had never. If I didn't know that the band was from 2014, if you listen to the music, it's they sound like they they should have came out right around the same time as Black Sabbath. Oh, totally! I'm looking at a photo photo of them right now, and the the blonde lady uh, is like got like got the what what are those those tassels off like a uh, yeah, it totally looks 70s. And oh yeah. Oh the, oh, the mustaches and the hair. That's yeah, awesome. dude. Yeah, it's great. So I'm, I'm like, they're gonna be they're gonna be here uh, next month. So I think I'm gonna go try to catch the show dope they're like a they're like a satanic german band i think hey well you said the key word for me satanic that's the reason why i thought you might be interested in it yeah i've got to listen to them i haven't i haven't had a chance today because i was working and then i came home and ate a bunch of food and then had to get all my stuff ready for the podcast tonight yay yay but uh before we get into uh the main course uh kenneth and i went to a convention, a horror convention called uh, fucking Days of the Dead in Atlanta. And it was dope as shit. And we met a bunch of awesome people. And uh, Kenneth came in his pants. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he sat next to Clive Barker. It was awesome. Oh my god, it was awesome. And, it was, and, and you know, we also met Doug Bradley. And I got to see Felissa Rose again. And she remembered me after two years. So I'm pretty what? sure... We're meant to be. Um, <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, it, it was a fucking awesome. And then my highlight was as I got to meet the suit actor for Godzilla 2000 and the suit actor for Ultraman. Um, and I was so fucking giddy. It was fantastic. Yeah, we had a we had a really good time. We got to hang out and we got to get some cool shit and see some cool people. And, yeah, you, you know, hang out with old friends and stuff like that. It, we had a really, really good time. And... I was literally like I almost cried when I met Clive Barker. Like literally, I was shaking. Yeah. Speaking of, I never get starstruck. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, because a drunk Irish man named Murphy gave you our uh, card, welcome. I hope he also gave you a shot of his whiskey he was carrying around because he was giving shots (laughs) to everyone. Oh man. But he was drunk, and Kenneth had the great idea to just hand him our business cards and tell him to go talk to people. And he did. He fucking went and talked to people and sold the shit out of us. Yep. What? Yeah, dude. yeah, it was hilarious. Well, I know that my friend James, once he gets to drinking, he will not shut up. 
And so I was just like, I just handed him the business cards and I'm like, go, my friend, <laughs> into the masses and spread the word. Yeah. And shout out to Andrew. Andrew, I really wish I would have asked you this at the convention. I don't know how to say your last name. I want to say Hoekstra, but that just seems not, doesn't seem right coming out of my mouth. I'm sure you could have told me how it's supposed to sound right coming in my mouth. But I'm, I oh. just don't know. But he he brought me his Carnosaur book and let me hold it. He wanted me to take it and read it and send it back to him. But it, that book goes for like $100. And I didn't want to risk <laughs> it getting lost in shipping. Uh, but he was telling me how graphic the sex details are in the book. And it was fucking awesome. So shout out to fucking Andrew for uh, coming out. and He's CA. great. I've been talking with him. I, I love that guy. Oh, he's, he's fucking awesome. Him, yeah. him and I... Uh, Shout out, dude. Talk quite a bit. Fucking love them. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, one more thing before we kick into the podcast. Um, Watson, for those yes, who don't know who you are and what you do, which I, I just don't understand how that's possible, but, you know, the world's <laughs> a weird fucking place. Please tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, okay. Well, folks, I am the host of a podcast called Horror Corridor, which you can find on the Horophilia Podcasting Network. It's a solo cast known for uh, it's known for its high quality production and audio, as well as deep psychologically and philosophically oriented reviews. You know, people used to think it was a highbrow show when I started, but I don't take it seriously enough for that. Neither do the listeners anymore. So it's all kind of leveled out. But <laughs> I've got I've got a few more episodes left in me before I hang it up to go to the to the great land of YouTube. And but, no. uh, yeah. I yep. will be on an episode before you call it quits, because as far oh. as I'm concerned, okay. it's not quits okay. until I'm there. I like that spirit, sir. And yeah, you know, I don't have any set uh, time when I'm going to end. I just kind of know that it's going to happen within the next 10 episodes. And I've been monthly so far. So, you know, anytime within the next year. And I don't know. I, I think, uh, folks, if you guys want a show that, you know, gets really super deep into the just I kind of focus more on the psychological aspects of the underlying themes and such. So if you if that seems like something that you'd be interested in, I mean, I I. I mean, when you can take a look at like the politics of Ghostbusters in the Reaganomic era and blah, 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 you know, and then just turn it into that. If you want to hear some kind of sometimes it's not whacked out. I don't want to sell myself like that. It's all pretty professional and level headed, but, you know, it's still fun. And hey, Santa shows up on the podcast every now and then and cusses a bunch. So it's not all just a bunch of smart people shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Santa. Yeah, fun over there. Yeah, <laughs> Santa, I was, was, I was, Santa so was a dick. He was a dick, and I just want to say, Santa, uh, people do do non-Christmas horror movies during Christmas time, okay? <laughs> I'm glad Watson put you in your place, because here at Kill the Cast, fuck Christmas horror movies during December. We don't do that shit. Well, Santa said that, yeah, Santa said that you guys were rebels and I wasn't, so you guys could get away with that, and... Uh, well, but then he then he he, did, he pulled a swerve on me, and so, folks, my Christmas episode this last year, Santa showed up and did a... Uh, what do we do? April Fool's Day and uh, I don't and some Valentine's Day movie from the 80s. And, yeah. But well, not the Valentine's Day movie from the 80s. So he, he came and mixed it up. I don't know. We have fun over there. And yeah. Santa loves you guys, but he, he don't have him on the show. Well, if we're rebels, we're, we are rebels without applause. So, <laughs> without uh, applause. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, can, uh, the show is fantastic. It breaks up uh, with really, really smart. You will learn shit. And then you'll laugh at a story about some drunk blonde girl. 
And then uh, I have to cry because yeah. the show is going to be gone. I was so upset when I found out that you were stopping eventually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- thank you for that. And, and the response has been bigger than I thought it would be. At first, no one said anything when I announced I was stopping. And then all of a sudden, like last episode, like five episodes later, which would be about five months later, they're like, wait, are you really stopping? Don't do that. But well, uh, I promise you will always have content from me via YouTube and I will podcast again I, to coincide with the channel. I promise. Here's the way I see it. You're the Michael Jordan of, of horror podcasting, right? So you've killed it in, in, in podcasting and now you're like, I'm going to retire. And then you're like, oh, there's YouTube. I want to go get on that diamond. So you're going to go and you're going to do that. And then you're then everyone's going to you know be like, Watson, come back to podcasting. So you're gonna go win a, a, a fucking podcasting match with the Looney Tunes against some space Martians, and and you'll come back to podcasting. That's how I see this happening. I've seen it before. See what I'm I dying. think. This is what I think is gonna happen. Oh God, what? I, I think Watson's gonna quit podcasting. Then it's gonna go to YouTube, and then he's then that big brain of his is not gonna be satisfied on YouTube. So Ooh. just as soon as my dick gets hard with you, whatever content you're putting out on YouTube, I am not gonna get a nut because you're gonna leave that medium as well. Probably, probably. No, actually, you, you will be happy to know that when the YouTube uh, when the YouTube channel starts and it's gonna be called Understanding the Dark, and when that starts, I, it's going to be a shortened version of my show. And a good one-stop shop to get your spoiler-free reviews and your spoiler-filled deep themes. I'm going to have animation. That's what I've been spending all my time doing, guys, is learning how to be a competent video editor. So when I launch this, like my whole living room, half my living room is a, is a set right now with lights. Uh, I'm mean, all pretty cheap. I, I wish I could afford like the grandiose stuff. But you can get by with if you know what you're doing, and I'm getting there. I just still got to I'm, – I'm not ready, but soon, gentlemen. And I, I promise, Kenneth uh, – the old dick will be hard. You know, all I, you need, dude, all you need is a black sheet, a desk, and one of those fucking ring lights. That's all you need. You know, fair enough, man. Fair enough. You, you can know, get, make good content with that. Absolutely. Understanding the Darkness, I think, is my favorite Atreyu album. Mm. I saw Atreyu live in 2005. It's a fun time. I haven't listened to Atreyu since their first album. Uh, Probably... Not their first album because they had two albums before, uh, Butterfly Notes and Suicide Kisses. Yeah, I didn't like Butterfly Notes, Suicide Kisses. Okay, were you talking about the Curse, the one after that, the one that's more glammy? No, hang on. I can't remember the name of the album. You continue talking, uh, and I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> uh, Fractures in the Facade of You, I think is the other. And then there's some some porcelain one, I think. I can't remember nowadays. I remember being kind of shocked because at that concert, it was a Warp Tour 2005. They covered a Bon Jovi song, and I was kind of surprised at that. Oh, yeah, Shot Through the Heart. Yep, yep. Yeah, I've had sex with that song. Anyway, so uh, (laughs) (laughs) while Kenneth figures that out, uh, yeah, so check out Watson, uh, fantastic podcaster. This is his second appearance on this show. And uh, we thank him for, for coming on and taking on Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, New Nightmare. Or is it just called New Nightmare? I'm really not sure. It's just New Nightmare. Yeah, yep, New Nightmare, yep. Oh, okay. Wes Craven's New Nightmare, because he got tired of saying A Nightmare on Elm Street, but he really likes saying his own name. (laughs) Or at least that's how I look at it. Did you figure this out yet, Kenneth? Is it lead boats and paper sales? (laughs) 
I don't know, because I remember when the Visions EP came out. And that was in 1999. Mm. There's one with porcelain in the title, and then there's one that's like fractures in the facade of you. That's I just can't remember what the porcelain one was called fully. But, you know, this isn't a uh, a uh, screamo post-hardcore podcast, so we're going to move on as much as I would love it to be. Everything on there starts with Suicide Notes and Butterfly Kisses, and I know that wasn't it. No, they had two. They might have labeled those two as EPs, but for me, they have too many songs to be an EP. So we'll figure that out later. Yeah, fuck it. If you know, let us know on Facebook. All right. Now, Jay is not here, but I have all his scores and everything, so I will be informing you what he rated everything, and uh, he will not be able to explain why, but that's okay. Uh, so anyway, we are starting with Friday the 13th, part seven, the new blood, Jason returns to fight Carrie, I meant Tina, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Kane Hodder is his first time as the man behind the mask, Jason Voorhees. So we are going to start with story. Kenneth, go ahead. I gave it a nine. I really liked it, you know, and the reason why I didn't get a 10 is because I wasn't uh, 100% keen on how Jason was brought back. I thought, you know, uh, chick using her mind and some bubbles rising up in the water. You know, I just thought that was kind of weak. But otherwise, I really like the story. I like the fact that in this one, you you in the last one, we started seeing the attitude of Jason. Well, I think Kane Hodder really brought that to him. And so you got that. But then you got the reverse side of it where you got somebody that's actually kicking his ass. And so I, I really enjoyed it. It was kind of like a, you know, it was kind of like a, a, a fucking horror action showdown. And I really, really liked the the idea and the premise behind it, you know. And, and uh, I think originally this is where they were going to put Freddy versus Jason. I can't remember. There's there's a lot of shit that goes around that. Um, but I, I think they couldn't end up doing it or something. And they ended up this one. I thought I think eight was the replacement. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it was that was where eight was where it was supposed to be, or something like that. I can't remember, but yeah. So that's what I think. I gave it a nine. I really, really enjoyed this story. I like the, I like the idea behind it. I just burped and it tasted like I made out with Jason from this movie. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Watson. What did you give the story? Oh man, see, this is <laughs> this is one of those things where I, Kenneth, this is your favorite in the series, isn't it? Yes. Ah, oh, shit. What now, bitch? I don't care if you rag on it. Go for no, it. No, but listen, you, you know my show. Even movies that I don't particularly like, I still show them respect. Uh, you know, but like this is one of those films where I'm not sh- I'm not certain how the filmmakers pitched this movie to New Line. Like, it had to be like, so we've got this great idea where we'll have Jason stalking and killing teens around Camp Crystal Lake in the studio. They had to be like... Homies, we got six movies like that already. What what else you got? And they're just like, oh, well, maybe we'll throw a dragon in there. And New Line be like, nope. And they're like, what about a gay vampire? And New Line be like, nope. What about an insurance salesman who's a ninja? And New Line's like, nope. And then they're like, what about a girl with mind control powers for some reason? New Line's, New Line's like, yeah. And then everybody asked, well, what about, what about Tommy Jarvis? And they just was like, I don't know. Let's make this movie. Uh, so, you know, as far as story on paper story, I wish I could be as high as Kenneth because I know he enjoys this, but I'm at a three out of 10 in the story department because it seems like it, uh, really just simplistic to me. And they didn't, they deviated from the formulas only slightly. 
that might be a bit of a hard score, but I, I got to go with a three. Do you feel like it was simplistic for 1988? Um, I think it's simplistic for a seventh film in a franchise. And it just, it feels, it feels like, you know, if it weren't for the presence of our, of Tina, our mind control young lady, our lady with telekinesis, you know, I, I don't know what they would have done that we hadn't seen before. But exactly. I, so, but That's, we'll get there because I'll rate Tina highly. Okay. No, we'll see. We'll see. The thing about it is the the way I look at the reason why this story got such a high high thing for me is because you're right. The six previous films were pretty much the same fucking movie, except for damn, except for the fact that you got zombie Jason and Jason lives. Otherwise, yeah. the first five uh, with the with the differences with the with the uh, continuity are pretty much the same thing. You got people out at Camp Crystal Lake. They're getting killed. They're getting stalked by a man in a mask from two on. You know what I'm saying? And so. What what are you going to follow up that with, especially when you got such a brutal character as Jason? Well, you're not going to be able to have, as you as you put it, what was some of the other ones you had? What did you a say? Dragon? Something about, like a dragon? Uh, I don't know. Well, you're I mean. not going to be able to put a dragon in it. So, what is the one that's the most realistic besides Tina? What was the other one you said? Somebody that's a ninja. Uh, ninja <laughs> businessman. Salesman. Yeah. Yeah, a ninja insurance salesman. I just don't think people would have gotten that too well. No, I don't think so. But you know, um, in the in this particular situation, it's like, okay, well, what what could you put in there to be a good adversary to Jason? Because Jason is one hundred percent brutal character, and so what yeah. could you put in there? And so the, the the only thing that you could do is you'd have to have somebody that would have some kind of superpower. But at the same time, you're going to try to keep it in as much realism as possible for this type of thing, because obviously Jason's a zombie. So you're going to keep it in as much realism as possible. So the closest thing that you can come to is a person with telekinetic powers, because that is the closest thing that we have in reality to something that's as close to a person being a superhero. To be fair, I I think the people at New Line were just doing coke, and it made them think of Stephen King. Paramount. Oh, this is Paramount. People at Paramount were doing cocaine. It made them think of Stephen King. So they're like, fuck it, throw in Carrie. Yeah, that may have been that may have been the same thing, but you know that, I met Paramount earlier. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> but, I didn't. Watson fucked me up. I, I did. Sorry. <laughs> and so you know that's just the way that I look at it. And so for them to do something that was different, and, and because then they then in the next one they just go to the same formula except it's on a damn, you know, it's on it's on a fucking cruise ship. So. For them to be able to do something different, I think this was a logical direction to go because only something that has some form of quote unquote supernatural, preternatural, however you want to look at it, powers would be able to fight a creature like this. Well said. Well said. I'm actually, I'm totally with you on that. I just burped again and it tasted like the hairspray in Tina Mom's hair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So Jay gave the story an eight. And I also gave it an eight. There are for sure some things that do not work. The timing of how long Jason was in the water. Uh, the ending with the dad is fucking horrible. It might be one of the worst endings in a Friday the 13th film ever. Besides part nine. Uh, but other than that, I enjoyed the story and thought it breathed uh, some new blood into the series. Uh, uh, Sing. Yeah. I'll see yeah. myself out. Uh I like the whole Jason versus Carrie thing. I thought it was interesting to see something new there. While it still came with the same tropes of teenagers at Crystal Lake, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, titties and, and weed and, you know, all the stuff I like in the world. Uh, it was nice to see the final girl do more than kind of piss under a bed and beat him with a pitchfork. But to actually fucking fight back. So I really fucking dug it. Alright, so we move on to character dev- and character development. Uh, Kenneth, go ahead. I gave this one an 8. And I think the biggest reason why I gave it an 8 was the development of the family. Uh, you know, the, the, the kids next door, they were pretty much your typical fucking slasher you know what i'm saying you had the stoner you know you you got the you got the fucking preppy chick blah 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 but the 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 development of tina and her mom and and the storyline behind it um you know like this girl having this power and not being able to control it and 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 killing her dad and, and having to live with the fact that she killed her dad and what it's done to her and then you got this fucking dick of a doctor who only gives a shit about you know exploiting her instead of helping her and then you have the mom who's just doing her best to deal with the fact that you know uh, her husband who beat the shit out of her died and the fact that she probably still loved him but at the same time you know having to deal with the fact that her daughter was the one that killed him and blah 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 all those things that are all those things that are engrossed i actually think the development of those characters to bring them to where they were later on is that right there is the story of this movie you know everything else is just kind of filler i feel like that the rest of the characters in the movie are just filler Fun fact that's not true. Uh, Bad News Cruz had a son who was also a doctor named Decker. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, that joke was fucking dumb. I'm uh, just going to sticker at that one. <laughs> I don't get it. Decker from Nightbreed. Oh, okay. Also gotcha. abused his patients for his own end. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. Watson, character development. Man, like, Kenneth, I, I got to hand it to you, brother, for, for looking at this movie with such a, just a, a, a wonderfully, a thorough eye. I, I got to admit, I think when I watched this film in the Friday series, I'm not, I, I don't think I viewed it as thoroughly as you did or, or, or was looking at it to, to get that much from it. Because for me, I was just kind of like, do any of these characters have any development at all? Like, was that in the script? I will say this, Tina gets... A lot of development and grows throughout the movie for, for sure since she has to rise up to be a threat to Jason. But other than her, uh, I, you know, this is my second least favorite cast behind the character or behind uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. You know, it seemed like all the side characters, those teens were so forgettable, stereotypical and just generally not fleshed out. So I, I guess I was focusing more on that than the family dynamic. So I'll still stand by my three out of ten. But I think that, you know, Kenneth, definitely you gave me something to think about with the family dynamic. I like that. Right. I mean, you could take you could take those care all those all you could take all the kids in the house next door. You could fucking just take them out. If you if you took those out, the only thing that would be missing out of this movie would be the kills. Okay, but you have to have the kills in a Jason movie. So that's the yeah. only reason why they were there. The movie itself is between Tina's family and Jason. That's it. The rest of it is just bullshit. All right. It's just so. All right. So Jay gave it a seven. And I give an A because I think it does a great job of developing characters and how they fit into the story and the motivation of these people uh, on what they're doing. Even with the side characters, you know, you still have uh, story arcs. You've got nerd redemption twice. 
You've got Nerdy Girl, who looks like the chick that got uh, her neck sliced while she was hanging upside down to bathe that chicken blood from fucking Hostel Part 2. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, she goes from nerdy, uh, wanting to step up and cut loose and get the stoner guy away from her friend. So she's going to do this whole makeup thing. Her friend wants to cut loose and has never smoked weed and is going to party for the first time and relieve all this stress of how perfect her life is back at home. You've got the stereotypical blonde stuck up bitch who, you know, daddy did everything for who uses and abuses another nerd who once again is just trying to make it as a science fiction writer, but unfortunately no one wants to see a mummy in space. So that doesn't work out for him, but damn it, he has a date with a soap on a rope, so I like it. Uh, You've got your generic black couple, which are not as cool as Demon and his chick, but, uh, you know, fucking, you have to have them somewhere or else you're racist. So, uh, then of course you've got the main guy who... Honestly, we don't get too much development on him. They do talk a little bit about him being out there for his uh, brother. I want to say it was his brother, who they were all there throwing the yeah. party for. Yeah, um, Michael was his brother. Yeah. So, I mean, they do at least give enough backstory to almost every character to give them a little bit of personality so you know them, which is something that a lot of times the Friday 13th series kind of lacks on. Um so they're all there. We know all of their motivation. And then, like Kenneth said, the character development of Tina, her mom, her dead dad, uh, the uh, fucking doctor, all is super fucking well done and actually gives more of a backbone to this movie because you actually do feel for Tina and what she's going through. Uh, and I also can't blame the doctor too much because you know how much money he's going to make when he proves fucking... Uh, uh, she can throw TVs and shit with her mind. Fucking buku money. Are you kidding me? Not when it takes <laughs> a goddamn circular saw blade to the belly. Well, you know, hey, fun fact. Uh, only time in the series that Jason used a weapon with a running engine. Yep. Yeah, that's true. So there you go. And believe uh, it or not, I actually <clears throat> saw somebody. I've seen. I used to think that that was just something that was made for the movie. But since then, as an adult, you know, especially driving around all the time, I've seen some people carrying around what looked like a weed eater with a circular saw blade on it like three times. Oh, yeah. It's the only way I can trim my bush hair. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we move on to pacing and editing. Kenneth, take it away. I gave it a seven. I mean, there it's not extremely slow in certain spots, but there are times where I feel like it's just like, I'm just, I'm just kind of like, come on, you know, like there, there, there's just some scenes where I think it just kind of drags, you know, especially when they're spending time with the, with the filler kids next door, because I really just don't give a shit about them. I just want to, I just want to see them die and move on, you know, I mean, it'd be one of them things where I would have felt, I would have been happy if Jason would have just stood in the doorway of their house and took them out one by one in a line. <laughs> but you know, other than that, I've, I've, so I gave it a seven. I mean, it was, it could, it, it, the movie could have moved along a little bit quicker in some certain spots, but it wasn't too bad. True. All right. Watson. I'm right there with Kenneth, a seven out of 10. You know, the, this flick moves quickly, doesn't lag too much at any point. Everything Kenneth said is spot on, you know, such as it is, this, you know, the story flows good and hard. Seven out of 10, good stuff. Mm, I love it when it's good and hard. The old. Mm. 
hand job. All right. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Jay gave it an eight, and I also gave it an eight because this movie uh moves right the fuck along. It has tons of kills. Has nudity. Has uh random matchbooks getting lit on fire. Uh, which is about all I really need in a movie. So <laughs> matchbooks. We move on to atmosphere, Kenneth, with your sexy, sultry Southern voice. I gave this one a nine. Um, I really, really like the atmosphere of this movie. It, it, it definitely has the tones of creepiness, um, especially when the when when you see Jason or the victims and stuff like that in the woods. Um, when you go out there, it's apart from the other movies. This one to me looks like it looks a lot more natural of what it's like to be out in the woods when it's fucking like just dark dark and the only thing you've got is maybe a street light or 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 a flashlight or something like that because when you see the light reflected off the trees in the woods especially in this movie because you know it, the cool thing about this movie is it never really says that it's summer in this movie and so you can tell that this movie takes place in like the fall and so when you're walking around outside in the woods during that time period at night, that's exactly what it looks like. All you can see is the light reflecting off the trees in front of you and the rest of it behind you is fucking black. It is it, this one to me captured the reality of what it's like to be out in the woods during that time period at night more than any of the other movies. I... Because the I don't know the other movies are are, are the 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 filming of being outdoors you 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 always see the lights coming in from far away in the other movies you know what I'm saying so it's almost like moonlight coming in or something like that from behind the characters so it makes the woods glow and I, that's not realistic the 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 atmosphere of this one is extremely realistic in in the way it looks and and that's the reason why I gave it a 9 there was just a couple of spots where I was like uh, so that's the reason why I didn't give it a 10 but overall I mean for the most part the movie was fucking creepy all the way through it it was good dope all right watson Gentlemen, this is a seven for me, seven out of 10 the, you know the idea here is that we've got this undead slasher killer in the woods going back and forth over and over between these two houses by this lake. And they get it right for the type of film they're going for here. If these filmmakers wanted to give us a fun and cheesy popcorn film, they accomplished their goals, and I, I think it's solid. Seven out of ten. All right. Uh, Jay also gave it a seven, and I knocked it up for myself to an eight because I think it has solid atmosphere built by great cinematography. And uh, the score does a good job of keeping the underlying of that going very well. We move on to scenery and set design. Go ahead, Kenneth. I gave it a six. The scenery itself was not all that. I mean, like Watson said just a minute ago, you got these two houses that are next to basically a pond. You know, the lake was not that big at all. You know, you're, you're, you're coming from the other movies where you've got this big, grandiose fucking lake in each one of them, and then you go to a pond. This is literally a pond. And you can see it when Nick is throwing the rocks in it. I mean, Dan, the lake that I grew up that I grew up next to is bigger than this, and it really ain't that big. And so, you know, this—that's the only thing that I didn't like about it—is you've got. I mean, it's—it's it's almost like the whole movie was filmed on like, I don't know, three acres of land, and that's not really that big. So I really, I really didn't care for the for the set design of it, the scenery of it. I, I felt like it could have, it didn't seem. You know, even though it didn't, it didn't have the, the 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 camp 
aspect of it, you know, which I, there are others that didn't have the campiness of it, even though it didn't have that. That's not what quite what I'm talking about. It's more of the the grandiose look of the woods and stuff like that, where it gives a, a, a big area for Jason to be around. So you've got in the other films, you've got this big area where he can stalk through the woods and stuff like that. And like, and in this one, it just seems like he's going back and forth between these two houses and walking around in the woods a little bit. All right. Watson. I gave this yet another seven out of 10. Oh, you know, we've got this rural lake setting, We've got the woods. We've got these two houses. I mean, there, you know, there's not much to get wrong here. And like Kenneth said, the scope isn't grand. But I guess I didn't need it to be for them to make things look like they should. You know, if I were working on this film in some capacity back in the day, I mean, I'd be like three or whatever. But, you know, I'd feel good about what we did here. You know, seven out of tens. All right. Uh, Jay gave it an eight, and I also gave it an eight. Um, I, I, it does what a Friday the 13th movie is going to do. Uh, the thing that actually impressed me, while the woods are limited, they look so good with how well they were lit. And considering that's part of the scenery, that's what really impressed me. And so that's where, where that extra little bit of jab counts for me. So we move on to acting, Kenneth. Go ahead. That's another one. I gave it another six. I really didn't think any of the filler people, their acting skills were really that great. Um, you know, especially the, uh, the rich, the rich chick, I, I, I was just like, no, um, that's about the best that I can give for it. Um, I think in, in my opinion, the, the two best actors that were in the movie was, uh, Cruz and Tina, uh, Nick was okay. Uh, her mom was all right. Um, but for the most part, you know, I mean, it was a six, you know, it wasn't even a hand job. Fair enough, Watson. I'm right there with Kenneth. This is a six for me as well. And all the points go to Kane Hodder's physicality, the doctor, just like Kenneth said, and Larpark Lincoln's chops as a final girl. You know, and, and I don't know if, if I remember anyone else, though. So either they did poorly as hell or serviceable enough to pass the test just barely. So six out of ten. Well, that goes great with my point uh, that I give almost every Friday the 13th movie Jay gave this a 7. I give it a 7 also so because Friday the 13th continues its tradition with me of not being so bad that I hate it, but not being so good that it takes me out of it by saying, damn, that was a fantastic performance. Uh, acting that stays at that middle line for me is a great thing because it helps me stay in the movie. If it's not super bad, it's not super good, stays right in the middle, I stay deeper in the movie. So it's something I've always appreciated about the series, and it continues that tradition. Yeah, we move yeah. on to special effects. Take it away, Kenneth. It's fucking ten. The special effects were fucking awesome. I mean, the uh, the special effects for the for the kills themselves was awesome. Um, the way that it looked, the way Jason looked was fucking superb, man. I mean, that was just creepy as fuck. I mean, you could see his spine and shit. You know, you could see his kneecaps moving when he walked. I mean, that was fucking superb. Um, overall, I mean, even, even, even the special effects when Tina was making shit fly across the room. I mean, all of that stuff looked fan-fucking-tastic. Um, 
you know, the, the stunt work that went into some of the stuff that, uh, Kane Hodder did as Jason in this, I'm going to, I'm going to lump that in into the special effects. That was the, that was fucking superb. I mean, just all the way around. It was great. I don't think there was anything that I was disappointed with when it comes to the special effects, other than not being able to see more of it. Yeah. The MPA fucked this movie up. Uh, Watson. Okay, so so guys, sometimes when I, in the past, when I would listen to your horror coliseum shows, I'd be thinking to myself, man, if I were on this episode, I would have very, I would have little idea how to differentiate between this category and the kills and gore category. But for this film, these are two very separate facets of the movie for me. Like, uh, I'm night and day on them. In fact, so so special effects, gentlemen. I'm here. I'm at an eight. Jason's makeup is impressively handled. Viewers will have no problem believing that our boy has been down and dead as hell in that lake, just rotting away. The way the effects team handled the destruction to the set that caused, you know, that Tina caused in her fight against Jason in that third act. The famous fire scene that actually burned Kane Hodder the hell up in real life. You know, the way he his face looks under that mask. These filmmakers did a great job here. And while I don't love this entry in the series, I got to hand it to them. Uh, mad respect for their knack for good presentation. Eight out of ten. Sweet. Uh, Jay gave this an 8, and I also gave it an 8. With so much getting cut out, that really hurts it. Um, I love the way Jason looks, even though I do not like the way he looks underneath the mask. I will say that. The makeup's not bad. I just don't like the way it looks. Um, The telekinetic shit is fucking awesome. The pier when her dad dies, holy shit, that is great. Uh, But uh, the decapitated heads in this movie look fucking awful. They were not, that was the one part where they were just like, I, they were given a steak. They were given us steak, 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 steak. Here's a bologna sandwich with decapitated heads. Um, so I, I, I had to drop it down to an eight for me, but it, Kenneth is right. This is probably some of the best special effects in the series period. Yep. Um, uh, and I said, Jay gave it an eight. So kills and gore. Kenneth, go ahead. I gave the kills a nine and they almost would have been a 10, but there was a couple of things in, in the kills that I'm just like, Oh, that's all you went with, you know? Um, and I think a little bit of it had to do with things that weren't being shown. Um, that was the reason why, like some of them were really good. Like the, the, the horn to the chick's eye. I thought that was great. Uh, that was a really, really good kill. Um, from an imagination standpoint, when he crushed uh, her boyfriend's head from top to bottom, you know, because that's what I imagine happened. That one was that one was fucking awesome. Um, the uh, let's see if we can go into some of the other kills that were really good. I really enjoyed when he had dude impaled on the on the uh, on the tent stake when Tina was seeing it happen inside the room. I really, really liked that one. Um, that one looked, looked really fucking rough. Uh, the, ch- we, we can all talk about the chick in the sleeping bag. That one was fucking superb. It would have been a lot better. I, th- I think it was good for, I think, I think that one was good for what they did with it. Even though I would like to see the uncut, I think I've been on YouTube and watched it. Um, and then, uh, so that one was really good. Um, I wish that we'd have seen the girl die in the, uh, when she was in the barn, the one that, you know, dolled herself up to try to get with the stunner dude. Um, I wish we would have actually seen that one, um, but uh, that was pretty cool. I actually really, really liked that whole scene 
in that part because I like the fact of when she's kind of looking through and, and you notice when Jason notices that she's looking through, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I like the ax going up the dude's face. I wish we could actually seen that happen. Um, I thought that him being in the lake and pulling the chick down where she drowns just by her leg. I thought that was fucking terrifying. Um, but oh, so overall, I think the reason why I didn't give it a 10 is just because there was a couple of them where I was like, uh, you know, like when dude goes to the uh, to the refrigerator and, you know, he just takes a, a fucking knife to the stomach. I, I, don't, I don't really like that kill in any horror movie. And the reason being is because I don't think I just don't feel like somebody would die that fast that way. You know, I just don't feel like somebody would die instantly from taking a you know, a, a fucking kitchen knife or a chef's knife to the belly. I just don't think somebody would die instantly from that. You know, I figured they would at least lay on the ground and suffer for a little while. But uh, that that was another scene that I thought was fucking fantastic is when the lightning strikes and you can see Jason standing in the corner. Did y'all catch that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I thought that was great. So uh, overall, I, I gave it a nine. There was a couple that I was disappointed with, but overall I thought the kills were pretty damn good. All right, Watson. Yeah, like like Kenneth said, the the sleeping bag kill, iconic and solid. It's Kane Hodder's favorite kill in the franchise, so you know that's pretty neat. The party horn kill to the eyeball. I think the character's name was Kate. Uh, is my favorite in the film, even though it's not like the best kill because you don't really see it happen. You just get that good aftermath. But the other than that, honk. Yeah, the honk is. Oh, I laugh my ass off every time. But other than that, you guys, you know, I, I don't. I wasn't a big fan of the kills here, and it's not the filmmaker's fault. It's just like it's just like you said, you know, the MPAA butchered this movie to shit, and it shows, you know, and it's and it's. But since it's all about what's on screen, you know, we got 16 kills in this flick, 17, I guess, if you count Jason, and only two of them stood out to me at, at visually. I mean, like you know, that axe to the head, and, and some of the well, there are a couple axes to the heads. Uh, you know, th- these were good, but you know, the, these cutaways and aftermath shots are are the aftermath shots are good, but. I don't know, just like, and what the hell was with how Jason went out in this movie? I mean, I love my exploding heads, homies, but whichever of them defended Tina's dad bursting through the dock and pulling Jason down to the lake, I think it was Brandon, possibly. I don't want to misquote whichever one said it, but no, like Jerry said, that's one of the worst scenes in this franchise and a a horrible kill. And so, you know, just because it's, you know, and, and like I said, it's not the filmmaker's fault, but, you know, because of what's on screen and because it was cut to hell, you know, I gave this a three out of ten, but I know there's definitely uh, an eight or above in here. You know, if we could get that uncut. Fair right. enough. Um, I, I want to go back to to where you were talking about about where Jason goes down at the end of it. I'm not defending it at all because I think it was terrible. But the only reason why it was terrible is because I've actually seen a brief clip of what it looked like before it was. A, it wasn't the MPAA. It was like one of the producers. Um, she, who was on it? She was the one that elected to take the zombie-looking, the the decayed-looking makeup off of Tina's dad. Oh, do do you know why? I, 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 it, it had something to do with, I mean, that was, that was another part of it. There was, there was not only, it wasn't only the MPAA. It was somebody else was on the set constantly undermining the director, and the director, yeah, and the director of the movie is also a special effects guy. And so that's the reason why he wanted to have a lot of it in there. And she, the original makeup, you can find it online. You can find this clip. The original makeup for how Tina's dad looked had him looking like he had been in that lake for fucking 10 years. Oh, man. Okay. 
Yeah, and and that chick fucked it up. She got in there and she said, "Oh, I don't want him to look like that." So basically, all they did was they took all of it off, all the work that they had done to it, and then the fin- the finished product is what we get. Okay. Okay. Now. Well, all right. Well, uh, Jay gave it an eight, and I gave it a seven. Kenneth kind of already ran through the whole gamut of kills, so it's not much I can really add there. But I do like uh, the variety of tools used in this, and I love axe kills. And uh, the snooty bitch taking the axe and then getting thrown across the fucking room <laughs> is my favorite. And that is awesome. uh, uh, Jason raising that axe uh, in that door panel is one of the most famous shots of Jason. In fact, if you look at the cover of the NES game, that is the picture that is used for that cover. So, nice. I love it. But yeah, unfortunately, a lot was fucking cut out. So next we move on to monster slash killer. Kenneth, go ahead. Let's see if you can guess. Uh, I'm gonna guess you put a ten. Fuck yeah, I did, man. This was this Jason was fucking brutal, dude. He had attitude. You could tell that he was enjoying doing what he was doing. He fucking loved it. He was mean as shit. He looked bad, fucking ass. Kane Hodder did a superb fucking job at this character. I mean, it was just, to me, it was great. Fuck you. I thought the damn makeup underneath looked awesome. I love the fact that you could see his teeth grinding from where the side of his mask was fucked up. I, I, I love that. I loved everything about it. My, one of my favorite scenes is when Jason jumps through the window after Tina. I thought that was great. He didn't just Oh, when he does the Spider-Man jump? Fuck yeah. I thought it was awesome. He didn't bust through a wall. He didn't do none of that shit. He just fucking jumped through a window after her. He's like, fuck you. Fuck all this. I'm just coming in. <laughs> I thought it was great. You know, everything about it I thought was awesome. I mean, you could you could just tell. And then on top of that, you could just tell every time that, he, that she did something fucked up to him, he got even more pissed. Like that scene where uh, he falls into the puddle. After she fucking shocks the shit out of him with the damn wires and stuff, when he stands up, you could just see how fucking mad he was. And he's like, I'm, I mean, I could just in in his in his fucking crazy psychopathic head, I'm I'm gonna goddamn tear this bitch to pieces. I, I it was just great. I fucking loved it. A ten out of ten. It was awesome. All right, Watson. Yeah, you guys, like, Jason is badass as all hell here, and Kane Hodder brings a superb physicality to the role that no one else, you know, had before this point. As a stuntman, anything and everything was on the table, which is why we see Jason getting his ass kicked and just getting knocked around in some pretty terrific ways all throughout the film. He's more unstoppable than ever here in Part 7 and just keeps coming no matter what. He's, he's like the damn Terminator in this film, and I dig it. I gave it a 7 for Part 7. Yep. All right. Uh, Jay gave it a 9, and I also gave it a 9. Um, and while I do agree this is the perfect undead Jason, I have two issues. I do not like the added breathing noises that they use in this film for Jason because they sound really weak. They don't sound beastly. They don't sound fucking, like, they don't match how vicious and fucking just a much as much of an unstoppable force Jason is in this movie. Um, and I, I never noticed that until this watch. Uh, and then, of course, I don't like the face makeup. I don't like when we see Jason's face, period. Have it in a sack. Have it in a mask. Keep it covered. I don't need to see it. You know what one of my favorite stunts was? It's when what? he took the lamp to the fucking face and then fell down into the uh, into the steps. <laughs> oh, the Home Alone. I hit. love that. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was great. I love that one, man. Because it just looks like this straight up that that fucking lampshade just sucked. 
hockey mask or no hockey mask. It just looked like it sucked. I agree with you. We move on to Hero. Take it away, Kenneth. Give her nine. I love Tina. I think she's awesome. Um, I really, really like her backstory. I love the inner turmoil that she goes into. Um, I, I really dig her quote unquote, uh, we'll just say ability. I really dig her ability. And I love the fact that she is a, like I said before, a formidable, a formidable adversary to Jason. I, I, I just loved her all the way around. So, I mean, I gave her a nine. Just because, you know, the only reason why she didn't get a 10 on this is just because I think the, the acting was a little bit off here and there. But otherwise, I thought it was great. I like it. Watson? So I, I was conflicted on this one, gentlemen. Uh, on one hand, okay, the idea of doing, doing away with the Tommy Jarvis storyline in favor of some girl with completely random telekinetic powers at first, it, it irked me to no end. It, it was so, in my head, it was so silly and dumb that I couldn't take this movie seriously. And, and I was thinking to myself, I'll probably never watch this again unless Kenneth and I can get together with our motorcycles and cuddle up in our leathers. But, like, uh, I, I, I think there's a sort of brilliance in giving Jason, like, like Kenneth said, a protagonist that can match him. And, hell, guys, if we're here in a world where lightning can bring back a long-dead corpse of a, of a freaking mongoloid, why not have a girl with telekinesis? Like, why not? Uh, La Park Lincoln does a good job. She goes from conflicted to strong, thus giving her a, a solid character arc. I gave her a 7 out of 10. All right. Uh, Jay agrees with you. He also gave the hero a 7, but I gave it a 10. I think it's super underrated in this series. Uh, she has something that makes her stand out. She has the ability to fight back. She is going through trauma before Jason shows up and is still able to fucking fight back and do shit. I, I think it's it's not your typical final girl, but that's exactly what I need by this seventh part in this series. We Jerry, move, what? Oh, Jerry, I think what you're right, you man. Want, Watson? <laughs> I want you, baby. No, you, you're you're right, buddy. Like it, it really is underrated. Uh, she, she is an underrated final girl for sure. Yeah, it's like I don't think people want to talk about her in the final girls cuz it's like yeah, she's the final girl, but you you put in the Konami code. We saw you do it. <laughs> so she doesn't get talked about but whatever I don't care uh, I'm still giving her a fucking hard 10 inches that I do not own uh, score slash soundtrack Kenneth I am uh, enunciating a lot here will you please take over Um, I gave the score a 9 and the reason why I gave it a 9 is because in this one it is even though it has the normal tropes of a Friday the 13th film, there are things that are added into it that give it more more of a dynamic. There are things that are added here and there into it that, that uh, it, it, it fucking boosts it up and makes it even more scary and creepy. And, and on top of that, making it unnerving when you're watching it. There, there are more things that are added into the music on top of your typical, you know, kick, kick, ma, ma, ma thing. You know, there, there's more shit added on top of that that I think, you know, there, there are moments in the movie where if I'm listening to it, like if I'm watching it with headphones on or something like that, there's just so much shit going on where you got the music going and you got Jason coming and you got people screaming and all this kind of shit that's going on at one time. And it's just unnerving. And so I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, that they added those things in there. All right. 
Watson? Um, you know, everything Kenneth said is pretty spot on. I guess I, I took a couple points off because I don't love the only part I really don't like is the title sequence music. But other than that, you know, Manfredini always brings the goods. Uh, I'm at a seven out of 10 here. It sounds like a Friday movie should. All right. Jay gave it a seven and I gave it a six because for some reason, the soundtrack had a lot of high pitched noises, way more than normal. And I was not a fan of that. Um, that kind of goes into what I was saying. It's these things that are just added shit in there. They just kind of, it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. It's meant, and I don't mean uncomfortable like in a, oh, I'm going to tense up in myself kind of thing. No, it's just meant to make it be fucking frantic. And I, and, and I kind of enjoyed that. Well, some people like being, you know, poked with a stick. <laughs> uh, scare factor. <laughs> Kenneth, how scared were you? I gave it an eight. I mean, there, like I said, when I was going into the atmosphere, there are things about this movie that are really, really fucking creepy. You know, especially like the scenes where the stuff going on in the woods and stuff like that, you know, um, there, there are things about this movie that I think are fucked up, you know, like, like when dude, you know, uh, sticks, uh, what's your name's mom in front, you know, that to me, those are things where, you know, I thought about, I would, I, I would think about what it was like to be in that particular situation where it's like, you see this big fucker with the, with uh, a hockey mask coming at you and, and the, the person that you're looking at for some kind of, you know, help or, 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 or masculinity, whatever the hell it is, he's the one that, you know, basically holds you up like a shield and won't let you go anywhere while this guy, you know, ram, uh, rams this fucking, you know, basically a, you know, like a machete on the end of a stick, you know, through your stomach and shit like that. I thought that was really, really scary. Um, but the atmosphere was probably the biggest thing that got me about it. That, that, that to me was probably the creepiest part. And the only reason why is because like I said, I can relate to it because, you know, strolling around through the Georgia woods at night. So, you know, I gave it an eight because there were other instances where it really wasn't, but for the most part, it had me most of the movie, 80% of the movie. So an eight. All right. Watson. Man. Oh man. I, you know, I, I, Kenneth, I wish I had, had rated the scare factor like you did, you know, really putting yourself into the movie because I, I, when I rated this, I kind of kept myself out of it. And so I I really like everything you said. And and so when I give my score here, it's not to disagree with anything you said, because well said, buddy. But, you know, I I think where I came from with it was, you know, unless you were a kid when this came out, you know, I'm kind of thinking of new audiences. And I was just like, you know, I can't imagine this having any real scare factor for anyone new. It scared me when I when I was a kid. Uh, But, you know, I guess I find it more fun and funny now. And I can't see the movie having, you know, a real power to frighten, you know, I mean, uh, a newer audience, because at this point in the franchise, it feels like all that seriousness is behind us. You know, it kind of feels like we're more on a fun fantasy land now. And you're either hating it because you're not getting the old, I guess, time when it took it when the franchise took itself seriously or else you're just having a blast with it and so like like kenneth which is i think where you should be on this and sadly i kind of fell somewhere in the middle so i gave this like a, a three out of ten okay uh jay gave it a six and i also gave it a six now i mostly gave it that based on how pissed and brutal jason is but i also was like well if i was in this movie i'd have psychic powers and i fuck jason up <laughs> but then i realized uh even in my own life i'm a side character and i probably would have uh died by, <laughs> by you're, getting you're a side character in your own life 
Yeah, so I wouldn't have got psychic powers. I would have. Oh, Jerry. Got denied by a snooty blonde chick, and I would have been stabbed in the in the neck. So, well, but before we move on, I want to go back to something that that Watson was talking about. I think where you were going into, you know, the the seriousness put behind us and things like that. I honestly think that that's what movies that are coming out now that are a continuation of a long running series are missing, because it's like even though, like, you take the and and I, and this. We will, we'll be doing the remake, but I, I want—I I just want to address this. When you look at movies like the remake and other things, they—they they add a lot of times. The filmmakers want to add that level of comedy to it, mm-hmm. you know. Like for instance, the there's instances in the newer one, and there's instances in other movies where you know they have these corny one-liner jokes or something like that that's coming from the teens in the movie, and it completely takes the seriousness away and 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 i think that 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 it's unfortunate that you know the newer audiences can't get what we have gotten out of some of these films because of that fact where it's just like you know they've turned it into uh I what's the word that i'm looking for the best way that i can describe it, it it's 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 so far deep into pop culture that it's turned into a, a almost meta where it's making fun of itself, and I and I, and I don't like that. In, in a lot of times, even though I enjoy these movies when I watch them, I don't really like it because it's almost like that. You know, like you said, newer audiences can't get it because it's like okay when they watch a newer version of it, like the remake or something like that. And then they go back and watch the old ones. It's already been put to the point of silliness that they can't take the old one seriously. Like we did. Sure. 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 Oh, well and, said. And I think it's, I, I, I think it's unfortunate that that is, that that's the way that's going on. And, and I think that if you've got young people that are interested in horror that are around, you know, the early teens or something like that, try to keep them away from the way that movies are being produced now and give them the chance to watch the older films before they get into that so they can still get it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some movies that get put out now that are still, that's, that still do their best to try to have that, that, that seriousness to them. Like I'll give, I'll give it to the first conjuring movie. The first conjuring movie has that, you know, it's serious, but the long running franchises, I think the further they get along and into the new, the, the phase of the new millennium, it's just, you know, it's, it's lost along the way wow getting deep (laughs) yeah jeez well said all right well with that we move on to entertainment kenneth um i also gave this an eight i mean you know it it entertains me for the most part aside from the fact of like when the pacing slows down and stuff like that when it when it busts off into the third act that that is always entertaining to me. Once once we get into that, the fucking final bout, you know what I'm saying? That's that that's the part right there where I'm always like, fuck yeah, let's get into it. That's where I'm at. So I get really entertained by that. So I, I gave the entertainment factor an eight. All right, Watson. Yeah, this is a mixed bag for me, guys. On one hand, I, I love the scenes with Tina and the Doctor. Thought they're very interesting. I love seeing all that. I, I like seeing Jason do his thing all throughout. The mind control thing, you know, while I've, it's out of left field, and is, it's definitely entertaining, especially in that third act. That said, though, you know, every scene with the teens 
uh, in the other house bored me to tears. The you know even though the pacing was fine, they just bored me. The kills because of the MPAA, you know, were kind of a, a snore fest to a large degree. But I do respect that they shook things up a little to give the fans a slight variation on the Friday formula, and and that's this movie saving grace for me. So I, I gave it kind of up in the middle, like I give it a five. Yeah, you know, Which, if you were more organized, you wouldn't have mixed bags. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Jerry. <laughs> Gotta make it so literal. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So Jay gave this an 8, and I also gave it an 8, because I think it's an easy watch that keeps everything interesting and going and really only gets hurt by the editing from the MP A and that one uh, producer, who I will not gender like Kenneth does. I'll just say producer, you bitch. Um, so, no. so now we move on to rewatchability. Go ahead, Kenneth. I gave it a seven. And the only reason why it doesn't get higher at this point is because I've watched this movie so many fucking times that it's one of those that it's a hit or a miss on whether it comes on TV and I'll sit there and keep going through it because I've seen it so many times that I'll be 100% honest with you. I watched this movie when we were supposed to do when we were supposed to record this like three weeks ago oh yeah me too i didn't do a rewatch i didn't do a rewatch either and you can see that as as deep as i have gotten into some of these subjects about this movie that goes to tell you how many times i've seen it nice that's true i've seen it so many fucking times and so it's just like i gotta give it a seven and then after the 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 I guess the 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 tiresome effort of of this horror coliseum series, yeah, I'm gonna be Friday the Thirteenth out for a little while. <laughs> oh yes, all right, uh, Watson. So I was harsh on this, but not because of the movie itself. And, and so let me explain that. So I, I can see why people enjoy this movie, and Kenneth has definitely said his piece extraordinarily well. I, I dig it. I'm I'm there with you. None of that's lost on me. But I guess. You know, I don't even rewatch movies I love, let alone movies I, I'm just kind of meh on. And so, I mean, honestly, I, I might not watch this movie again for years. And, you know, I'm not a completist, so if I do go through the franchise, you know, I, I feel fine about just maybe skipping some movies or and, and seeing others. You know, just because a studio backed something to get more money out of the people doesn't mean I'm obligated to treat it like it must be watched in sequence. I'm one of those people. So I, I was really harsh on this, but it's not because of the movie. It's just I don't rewatch films in general. So I think I, I gave it a one out of ten. <laughs> but that, Sounds yeah. like what Carly calls a fake horror fan. <laughs> hey, I know what I like and I, I, I know what I don't. I honestly think that is the lowest score that we've ever got on this show. And that really speaks to just my own rewatching habits. I don't rewatch like Ghostbusters is my favorite movie of all time. I, I might watch it once every few years. I'm just that way. I don't. Dude, I've, I'll put it to you this way. I've watched Ghostbusters so many times that I could quote it to you right now. Dude, one day we should. <laughs> I mean, I'm being dead serious. Like there are certain movies that I have that I have seen so many times that I could tell you just about anything about the movie itself without the history of it. Like Back to the Future, all three of them. That's another one. Indiana Jones, oh God, what a the, first, trilogy. the first three oh, Indiana oh, Jones dude. movies, same thing. I've seen them Super so many times, trilogy. dude. You know, yeah. there are just certain there's just certain ones, man, that I've that I literally can put on 
And when it finishes, like The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, I can put that movie on when it runs through the credits. I'll restart it. See, that's, I wish I were more like that. And Jerry, when you go, I'd love to know how you approach rewatchability because, you know, I, I, even like I said, even the movies I love, I just don't rewatch films. And I, I find that, I mean, I do rewatch it, but it takes me forever to get back around to it. So I'm just, when I approach this, I wonder if I should have maybe approached my rating to just like how would another watch benefit you know, like how, how, how would that benefit like a second viewing, you know, say you see it for the first time, how would a second viewing uh, add to your experience? Because I think people could have fun with a rewatch. I, I mean, I think you could turn this right back on again. I guess I was just speaking just from how I personally don't rewatch things. And I, and that, that really lowers this poor movie to a, a score that maybe is, I'm not going to say unfair, but is maybe a bit slanted because of my personal movie watching habits. So yeah, just, I'd like to know how you guys see rewatchability. Well, Jay gave it an eight and I gave it a seven. While I prefer my original Jason uh, still living, uh, I do enjoy how this film changes it up. And the way I look at rewatchability is more of like, okay, say I was going to sit down and do a Friday the 13th marathon, but I wasn't going to go in chronological order. Where would I place this movie on that list? That is where my rewatchability is. Am I willing to sit down and watch this one before many others in the series? How, and if and is the pacing good enough that the rewatchability is easy? Do I like the kills enough? Everything you've scored so far plays into your rewatchability. Plays into what you get from this movie. Do you like the kills? Do you like the main hero? Do you like the killer? Do you like the special effects? Do you think the story holds up? Do you think after hearing what Kenneth said, you know, are other people's opinions on this movie going to make that next watch better? Do you have something new to look into? That's where I come up with rewatchability. It's all about perspective. Because like, like, for instance, Hereditary. That movie. I'd only watched it one time. I watched it three times after I listened to your podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man. And so, yeah, I mean, and two of those times was back to back. It's it's all about perspective. Everything, everything that you look at when it comes to that type of thing is about perspective. You know, so, you know, when you're going into a movie or something like that, you're, you, you had made the comment just a little while ago about looking at certain things, um, you know, if you if you would see things differently or something like that upon a second watch. Well, absolutely, because there's going to be some things that you're going to miss on the first one, regardless of whether the movie's terrible or whether it's fantastic. There's still going to there's always going to be things that you're that you're going to miss. And the reason being is because, let's say the movie's terrible on that first run. OK, and you're sitting there and you're watching it. Well, you hear other people talk about how the movie's great. And there's some movies that are like that, you know, like there's some movies that I absolutely fucking hate and Jerry loves them. So Jerry tells me, oh, this is why I love them. Well, I'll go back and I'll watch it based on Jerry's perspective. And then I'll be like, oh, I can see that a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And like so, that. yeah, and, and, and that's it. And then my perspective will change on it. Just like I used to be a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan. But then I went back and I watched it from Jerry's perspective. And I understood where he was coming from and why he didn't like it. So that's the reason why the Nightmare on Elm Street series has dropped down a few pegs since we've been doing all this. Yep. No. I'm converting everyone to my cult. <laughs> down so, with Freddy. 
Yeah, so there are certain things where it's just like, definitely, if you have the time, because I know you're probably pretty busy, but if you have the time, definitely go back and watch some of your favorites because there will always be something that you missed. Oh, for sure, definitely, yeah. Yeah, like how did you not rewatch Krampus during Christmas time? Oh, oh I did. I, I'm just saying that even like my favorite movies, like at most my favorite movies will get like maybe a once a year watch. But like movies like, you know, th- that I rate, you know, just kind of mid, uh, I might get back to them in a few years. I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just always on to the next thing. Fair enough. It's the end of January and 90% of the movies I've watched have been Godzilla films that I've already seen. 200 times <laughs> sounds, so, com- sounds comfy i i'm a creature of nostalgia it's it's my biggest addiction it's the worst drug in the world and it keeps it prevents me from doing a lot of things like that's why i don't do end of the year list for movies because I, i'm an addict and i have to get my fix and i need I need to shoot up some Vincent Price and smoke some Godzilla instead of (laughs) going out there and being like, oh, let me watch this movie Revenge or Cam. Uh, You know, let me get clean. Let me be straight for once. And what do I do? I go back and watch King Kong versus Godzilla. I, I, I watch Jaws. I watch John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, I fucking, I, I watch, Matango and the Black Cat instead of sitting there and watching uh, Terrifier or fucking something like that. It's it's a huge problem for me. I fully admit it. Everyone knows that I (laughs) suck at watching fucking things. But I have a problem. I have an addiction, okay? I can't say anything. I mean, when it comes down to it, there's a lot of times where one movie will link me to another one. And it'll be from completely different franchises and sometimes completely different fucking genres. But it'll link me to something else. And then when I start that one, if I start it from the beginning, I'm, I'm not really a completist, but it leads me into wanting to watch the next one. So if I'm watching some movie and it makes me think about the Bourne identity, well, I'm going to watch the Bourne Supremacy and the Bourne Ultimatum. It's going to happen. And I'm going to watch them in succession. And then I'm going to find something else that's going to lead me to something else. Or if Jerry tells me that I need to check out something and it's part of a series, I'm more than likely going to want to watch the whole goddamn series if it's good. Yeah, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. And and, and I'll sit there and I'll do that. I'll spend a whole day watching that. Like, like if I wasn't so Friday the 13th out and one day I had the hankering to want to watch one of the Friday the 13th movies, if it started where it started, I would continue going through. So if I had the urge oh. to want to watch, <laughs> if I had the urge to want to watch Friday the 13th part two, for some reason, I would run through the all through the rest of them with the exception of part nine and probably part three. Yeah, I think those are the two I would leave out also. So, so I can't say anything. All right. So we come to our final category. Pop culture. Kenneth, go ahead. Give it a nine. This 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 is one of the ones that is well known in the series. Number one, it's well known because it's Kane Hodder's first. Even though that's that's mostly for horror fans, damn, that's one of the reasons. Number two, the way he looks. That's that's known amongst all. Everybody knows this version of Jason because he's so badass looking. You know that uh, that's one of those that that you can't get around. Also, this one is well known because it's damn Jason versus quote unquote Carrie. You know, even people that aren't horror fans know about this one because of that. You know, 
it's it's the battle sequence of him fighting against somebody else like that. So I gave it a nine. This one, this is definitely one of the ones that even if you haven't seen this movie, you know that it exists. All right, Watson. So uh, my friends and listeners and my friends here on the show today. Uh, so I feel like this j- is what Watson says right before he disappoints you in the bed. Oh, oh, absolutely. I, 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 I turn to the mic and I tell, I tell the guy I'm with and, or, or what a girl, whatever it is. Just like, I, I, oh, who's a good boy? Who's a good? No. So is it Cocker Spaniel now? I, it, it's, it's whatever it is, is there. It's, I don't know. So. Cool, Look, Rex. so this film, so so Jerry and I talked beforehand, and Jerry was like, "So, do you maybe want to take a look at your scores for the pop culture uh, sections?" And I was like, "Oh, how come?" And and then <clears throat> we, we had a small talk about how we both rated pop culture, and I actually prefer. I mean, I I, I wanted to stick with what I did, so that way any listeners who maybe thought of it the way I did could, you know, so, so that way some, the listeners could go, oh, I, I think of this category like that, or I think of it like this. So when I approached pop culture, I rated it strictly as this is what non-whore fans think of this. But then Jerry was like, oh, well, you know, we do consider how whore fans think of it. And I was like, ah, damn it. Okay. Well, let's, let me just keep what I have so it can kind of differentiate and whoa, so so it can kind of differentiate things here. So you know, anyways, that said, this film gave us Kane Hodder as Jason, which absolutely resonated with horror fans. But you know, it wasn't a smash success by any means. This film, you know, total domestic gross out of just under eighteen hundred theaters amounted to little over nineteen million bucks. Not too good, not too bad. But it's the ninth highest grossing film in a franchise of twelve films. And I think from a non horror perspective, that's very telling. Uh, I, I don't know if the majority of non-horror fans will know. They, they might know that Jason and Carrie squared off, but they might not know anything more than that or which movie in the sequence in the franchise it was. I don't think that this movie, separate from all that came before or after it, did anything that caught the attention of popular culture at large. So I was hard on this and gave it a – hard on – and gave it a 1 out of 10. But when you think of how it resonated with horror fans and launched Kane Hodder, if I were looking at it like that, I'd be pretty high up there. So I'll keep my one, but I'm going to acknowledge that the way you guys are doing it is a really holistic way that I wish I'd thought of. So, good, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I tried to warn them. We've had people come on the show. Uh, and normally they just send me. Okay, so before the show, I have everyone send me their, their final score, the out of 150. But uh, most of the guests will send me their entire breakdown, even though I tell them not to. Yeah, I didn't so, want to put you through that. <laughs> yeah, so I saw it and I was like, oh, God, no, Watson. Um, <laughs> so I tried to explain to it. And now I've just figured out Watson has a fetish for learning. He was probably waiting the whole time to be like, oh, I can't wait till he lectures me and corrects me as he fucking twists mm. his nipples. Mm. It's very Give weird. It to me, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. By the way, I'm sorry about that loud ass fucking racket. <laughs> I had was it fatty? No, I had something fall over on my desk. Wow. Oh. Was it a gun? No. A knife? It was a gun. It was a gun. <laughs> no. Question is, it. which one? It was my Glock. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, Sorry. Uh, all right. Pop culture. Jay gave it an 8, and I give it a 10. You want to know why I give it a fucking 10? Well, sit the fuck down and learn. This mm. gets a fucking 10, because this is the Jason that's on the cover of the 
fucking Nintendo game. Are you on the cover of a classic 8-bit system? No, you're fucking not. Because you're a loser. Your mother doesn't fucking love you. Your dad wished you would have played fucking football. Fuck but that. Instead, younger version of me is on the cover of Wizards and Warriors 2. Go fuck yourself. Really? You think you're fucking Fabio? <laughs> Hell yeah. Really? Can you, can you break a goose across your face? A goose? Can you break a goose <laughs> yeah, across Fabio your face? Really? Fabio broke a goose across his face while he was on a roller coaster. The goose exploded. He had no damage to him. He had goose blood on him. That was No, it. I did not know about that, but hey, yeah. why not? <laughs> so sit down. You're not Fabio, bitch. You, you look more like hair. the fucking Noid from Yo Noid from the NES. You pizza-ruining motherfucker. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so I give it a 10 out of 10 because... Yes, it's Kane Hodder as Jason. Yes, it's Jason versus uh, Harry Potter. I meant Carrie. Uh, but more importantly, it's the face of the 8-bit NES cover. And that means a lot where I come from. So with that being said, let's break it down. Um, I gave it 118 points out of 150. Kenneth gave it 124 points out of 150. Jay gave 114 points out of 150 and Watson gave it a 75 out of 150 meaning Watson came out the lowest and Kenneth came out the highest of course wow yeah that's yeah that's pretty true uh, I do want to point out that uh, the rock is chained differently in this movie it was an X in the previous or it was a Y in the previous movie in this movie it's an X fix your shit director um oh wow and they even show you in this movie in the beginning of it when they're reusing footage from the movie before that it was a Y. Uh, and I just wanted to point that out because it it irritates me. Wait, what? What are you talking about? The Rock. It's a in in the in part six. It's a Y design wrapped around the Rock. The chain is, and in this movie, it's an X. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I still don't care for the for the way Jason's face look, and I don't care for the mask break. So you know, there's that. Um, so yeah, that is Friday the Thirteenth, Part Seven, The New Blood, and here we are stepping into kind of the dream world with a Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not called a Nightmare on Elm Street. It's called Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. All right, so here we go with A New Nightmare. And, of course, we go in reverse order now. So I get to go first because I always make sure I get to go first on the Nightmare on Home Street movies. Ha ha. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but I will start off with Jay, uh, Story. Jay gave it a 7. I give it a 9. The story here is unique and interesting. It does become very predictable with having seen so many of these movies at this point. Um, so it doesn't quite escape the Freddy formula, but it adds... Just enough, just a dash of actual making fucking sense that it really brings it up for me. So, there's that. Uh, Watson. My friends, I am giving the story a 10 out of 10. There, There is something, okay, absolutely masterful about the way this film handles itself in the meta sense of things. There's, there's a juggling act at work here that boggles my mind because what we're ultimately dealing with here in this seventh film in this franchise is the question of like, what effects have these movies had 
upon the people watching them. And so by bringing this Freddy entity alive into the real world, so to speak, the filmmakers are breaking fourth walls all over the damn place. And sometimes they're not even doing that intentionally. Okay, take, for instance, the angle that we've got these Elm Street alumni playing themselves in what is essentially a horror movie within a horror movie that openly references itself time and time again, even to the point where we've got shots of this script that Craven is writing to exercise this real Freddy entity, which also happens to be the script for the movie that we as viewers are watching. It's, it's brilliant, but it, it, it doesn't even stop there. Craven's, Earth, uh, Craven's earthquake set piece in the first act was written before the very real Los Angeles earthquake that occurred while they were filming this. So the scenes where they're going through Los Angeles and we're seeing earthquake damage to the city, I mean, that's because of an actual quake. So we've got this, we've got the movie world and the real world colliding and blurring lines all over the place. I love it. 10 out of 10 for that story. A uh, question for you. You said uh, how these movies affected those who watch it. Yeah. I, this movie doesn't do that. This movie shows how does this movie affect the people that make it? Oh, I mean, for sure. And, and definitely. And that's that's the part where the, the real brilliance is. But I think this movie is asking, you know, I guess what effects you know, are these movies having upon? Well, I mean, the, the, the fact that the Freddy entity himself is this other thing that was sort of, you know, Freddy is its incarnation. I think the power of it, it's, it got its power from, I guess, it catching on in the pop culture sense and was kind of trapped there as Freddy. And I guess it wouldn't have done that if these had been like B movies that no one saw. So, but yeah, I mean, I would say the emphasis is placed, like you said, on the people making it and in and around it. So yeah. yeah. Cause the one I thing think it you're says, both right. I, the one thing it says about the audience who watched this movie and enjoy it is two things. One, when we see Robert England come up, come out dressed as Freddy for that uh, talk show where everyone's yep. super excited uh, they love it. And they love it. But later on in the film, multiple times, Heather gets accused as if she's a bad person if she let her children watch horror movies. And it goes to speaking to at what age do you allow kids to watch horror movies? And at what responsibility do the actors and directors take for creating such movies? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. So I always thought that was a sly little jab Wes Craven put in there, kind of <laughs> like what Dario Argento did with uh, Tenebrae. So very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth story. I give it a nine. I really, really like the story of this. I think it was definitely uh, it was definitely new. It was a breath of fresh air for the series. So I, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, you still got the iconic character, but at the same time, it was like the story behind it. It was different, but it was the same, if, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I said, it uses the Freddy formula. It just adds a little bit of we're actually going to try and make sense this time. Right. You know, it, it, so I really, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this story. I liked what they did with it. Yeah. Uh, we move on to character development. Jay gave it a five. I give it a 7. While it has a lot of characters, I wouldn't say it worries too much about developing them as much as it focuses on using them as chips, ugh, using them as chess pieces and uses them to develop the story instead. Even with he Heather, they lay out what she's going through in the first 15 minutes. And from there, there's a little development as she wonders if there's mental illness that runs in her family, but for the most part, 
it sticks with she's dealing with a stalker and she's dealing with uh, her mental ability with what she's going through currently and her movie past. But I feel like it, it uses less development for the characters personally, but it uses the characters to develop the story super well. Uh, it's more of this. This one's more of a chess game when it comes to character development, because uh, instead of developing the characters, I feel like it uses the characters to develop the story, which is maybe something more movies need to do. You know, if you're gonna have your characters push forward your story, might not be a bad idea to sit down and watch New Nightmare and see how it's done well. So I think my opinion. I think my opinion when you when you get to me because I know Watson's going, but I think my opinion will kind of flow right into exactly what you just said. Ooh, I like it. Watson, Ooh. give us that flow well, job. Yeah, well, here here here's how I meant here's blow how job. Flowing. Stop talking. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm. No, so uh, you know what? I'm at an eight out of ten on this bad boy. It, 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 just like Jerry said, you know, New Nightmare does a clever thing by showing us an insider view. You know, a behind the scenes look at the production of the films and how they've been perceived, not just by the public at large, but also by the people in and about the movies. With Heather at the center of everything. So, you know, I like what you said about chess pieces because. We see how acting in these movies has affected her home life. We see the relationships she's forged with people in the film industry because of her role as Nancy. But most pertinent of all, we as we navigate through these more mundane facets of her character, you know, of the character of Heather, we watch as things in her life build up to the point, like, you know, a chess piece being moved that that way like a chess piece, where we see how Nancy is important in their real world attempt to shut this Freddy entity down. And that's no small journey for a single character. You know, this script really had her back and it shows. Also, I liked the sneak behind the curtains. We get, you know, seeing the character of Wes Craven and the character of Robert England all troubled by this Freddy entity in their own ways. And that little boy, I mean, he had a few wonky moments, but Cage Creed sure know what he, knew what he was doing. You know, creepy little son of a bitch, 8 out of 10. All I heard cool. was Gage Creed, and all I can all I can now think of is fucking Gage from Pet Cemetery, fucking slicing, Creed's right? Fucking leg open. Gage Creed. All right, Kenneth, impress me. <laughs> I, I I gave this one an eight also, and I and I think the the reason why is because, like I said, it falls right into what you were talking about because not you're watching the progression of this because this is. This isn't really a Freddy story. It's a Heather Langenkamp story. It's a, it's a, it, 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 you're watching the, the progression of this person, the, the development of this character, I would say, as it's progressing through the movie. I mean, and how she's changing and how she's growing. And this goes into what you were talking about because as she's growing, it's furthering along the story. You know, it's it's almost like it's a it's a documentary in the day in the life of this person that's having to deal with all this bullshit. And so as it moves forward, the whole thing moves forward without her character. It wouldn't move forward. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like instead of having a backstory of character development, we've got a progression of character development. And I really, really like that. Because normally, you know, you got your backstory that 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 tells you what to expect and so on and so forth as we're going through. But in this, you don't have all that. You what you've got is you've got a person who's a mother who's obviously going to be dealing with some bullshit, and the bullshit just gets worse and worse as the movie goes on. Yeah, and the and the movie itself gets worse as it goes on. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so it falls right into what you were talking about. With the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I always have a few questions as uh, as we've gone through these horror coliseums. And um, I just want to know if y'all think my theory is correct here. Wes Craven was the one making the phone calls and sending her the uh, letters burned onto paper. He was he was the conduit for which Freddy was uh, coming into the real world to give uh, Heather enough fear for him to be able to get in there. Whether I'm not saying Wes Craven had control over doing it, uh, but I do believe he was the one making the phone calls and uh, giving the pieces of paper. Huh. I never thought of that. What do you think his motivation would be? I don't necessarily if he ha- if if he did it unknowingly, uh, I don't know. But if he did it knowingly, it was the only way to stop his own nightmares was to finish this script, and the only way to finish the script was to get Heather to play Nancy again. And the only way to do that is to put Nancy enough on edge uh, that it affects her head and will get into her life, which will then uh, then therefore affect her son. And as we've seen in previous movies, even though technically we shouldn't count them uh, in this one because this one's technically outside of those, Freddy uses children quite a lot to uh, get where he want he needs to get. I can get I can get down with that. That makes so, kind of that kind of makes sense. Not a bad theory, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't I, I like I haven't seen anyone else talk about this theory, uh, and it because I was trying to figure out. Who the fuck was sending her that shit? Was Freddy already having the ability to get into the real world before this movie starts? Because she had most of those letters before the movie started, and she was getting phone calls before the movie started. So what you're saying is it would have to be somebody who's in the know about the real world power of this Freddy entity. And who else better? Who else better than Wes Craven? Exactly. Not bad, man. Not bad. So that's a good one. I think you blew my mind. Among well, other things. Uh, when people come on this show, they get blown. <laughs> That's uh, what we're going to... Uh, so, okay. The now, crazy thing about that is, is Heather Langenkamp was actually dealing with a real stalker. Oh, I didn't know. I thought they just kind of stole the, the stalker story from uh, Alice from Friday the 13th Part 1. No, they, she... Uh, yeah, she was actually really dealing with that. So that was actually a way for her to bring some of it to it because uh, she ended up having to move um change all her numbers all the rest of that shit because of an extreme freddy fan so this is more meta than (laughs) than i thought even with you know with the earthquake in there that's awesome wow all right so we move on to pacing and editing jay gave it a six and i give it a six also because the first and second act are so fucking slow to build up to the third act and the third act isn't even all that exciting but hell at least it all makes sense for once um but i do think they could have really we got the idea of what's going on with Heather, uh, but they kind of really shoveled it on there um, to get their point across, and I don't think they needed to do that. They could have made this movie a bit faster, a bit shorter, because this is the longest movie in the series, um, and it didn't have to be. We we got the idea. We're not dumb. You didn't have to keep fucking going. Uh, so it was it was there was enough there to keep me interested. But I could definitely see on a second watch this being painfully fucking slow. So, Watson. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm with you that this isn't a nail biter from start to finish or anything of, you know, of the sort. Oh, no, but... I bit my nails, but that's because I was bored. 
It was, yeah, just inadvertent because <laughs> you're bored. You know, but for me, you know, there's definitely a steady enough escalation that never had me personally bored or looking at the watch I don't actually own, which isn't owning watches a funny thing to do in 2019. <laughs> like, I want one, but I don't know why I'm saying this. And Anyway, look, uh, pacing editing. Uh, we, you know, we've got this actress who is embroiled in this dream demon mystery that's affecting her and her family. And as she goes through the film learning one weird-ass thing after another, it's constructed like a strange but careful puzzle puzzle that takes us viewers on an engaging enough ride so i gave it an eight out of ten but i i do agree jerry that you know uh, yeah it didn't have to be as long as it was by any any stretch all right kenneth i also am coming in with a six there are just spots in the movie where it just fucking drags i'm just like come on you know especially since i've seen you know this 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 was my favorite in the franchise until i did this now it's part two, right? Probably. Yeah. Probably, because, I mean, there are just aspects of this movie that I didn't like. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with Jerry. The first and second act, it's just like, you get the highlights, and then everything in between the highlights is just like, oh. I mean, it's like it's a chore to get through. So, I gave it a six. All right. Uh, atmosphere. Jay gave it an eight, and I gave it a seven. Well, I feel like a lot of it's forced. It at least doesn't... Oh, I just burped again, and this time it fucking tasted like Freddy Cougar fucking ate food and then fed it to me from his mouth like I'm a baby bird. But it was all vegetarian <laughs> food. Are you my like, mother? Like, yeah. He was like, <laughs> have, you had, like have you had your spicy black bean patty today, Jerry? <laughs> uh, I love Chipotle. Uh, so, uh, okay. So while I feel like, while I feel like a lot of the atmosphere in this movie is very forced, it at least doesn't ruin it like all the other Freddy movies by taking you out of it by Freddy doing some just stupid fucking one-liner. So for once, I'm actually pretty happy with the atmosphere here. Watson. I'm right there with you on that 7 out of 10. You know, I find the atmosphere favorable overall, but there are stretches in this film where the Los Angeles Hollywood setting didn't pull me into the horror this time around as much as I would have hoped, especially considering that we're dealing with a real-world situation here that revolves around Hollywood types, right? On paper, as mental concepts, these things work, but, you know, something in the execution just didn't get me this time around. That said, by the time we do arrive at the third act, it's pure Elm Street, uh, good stuff. Seven out of ten. Solid. Hey, I figured out why you need a watch. Why's that? Because then you can be like, uh, it's it's watch son review movies. They don't even got a watch son. I'm always on fucking point. Check the fucking oh. time by your watch son. That's it, why I need a watch. Yeah, it rhymes with your name. <laughs> so uh, hell yeah, Kenneth. <laughs> atmosphere. I gave it a seven. There were moments where it was kind of creepy, but for the most part, I mean, it was just kind of the look in certain in certain spots where I where I enjoyed it, uh, especially the look of the end of it. But that goes more into the scenery. But overall, it just wasn't the movie. Just really wasn't that creepy. Fair enough. Yeah. You know? Speaking of scenery, scenery set design. Jay gave it a seven, and I also gave it a seven. Uh, everything looks good here. It's a little less of the Freddy world, making it one of the more blander entries. Uh, but there's some other cool stuff, like getting to go inside uh, 
New Line slash Paramount, depending on which one I want to fuck up on this time. Watson. Um, <laughs> New Line. Uh, and it was cool going on an actual set. Um, that was pretty dope. Uh, technically, we're on sets every movie, but it was the meta behind the scenes set, so it was a different set than the normal set you would see in a movie because they're not trying to be a set. Do you get what I'm saying? Set. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, so I only gave it a seven. Uh, Watson. I'm at an eight out of ten here, gentlemen. The recreation of Elm Street, as well as you know Freddy's subterranean lair in the third act, is magnificent. The scene inside that deep as hell ass coffin at the funeral, the eight lane freeway set piece, the hospital, the Hollywood offices, Heather's house. You know, from a from a design standpoint, the scenery accomplishes exactly what this film requires. Nothing felt off to me, but nothing felt grandiose either. So I wanted to give it a good, solid, positive rating but nothing that was you know if I, when i start getting into the nines that's like knocking it out of the park i don't know that this does that but it's good eight out of ten all right keth i give it an eight out of ten also what watson said Ooh. Uh, well <laughs> using uh, what he said is usually a good way to do it all right so we move on to acting uh jay gave it a seven and i also gave it a seven heather's acting has improved but she still comes off as very wooden to me. But since she's playing herself, I can't take points off for her having her mouth fucking open. So way to find a fucking loophole, Heather. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Watson, go ahead. <laughs> well, well, Jerry, you know, I know you've been critical of uh, Ms. Langdon Camp's performances in the past. And in that first film, dude, I'm right there with you all the way. Uh like, you know, and, and I'm not a nightmare or an Elm Street apologist like some, you know, some folks are. I just took Joey. Lil Watt. Yeah, yeah I, just, I just took Lil Watt through this franchise. And, and it wasn't, it was like an underwhelming thing. I'm showing my son, oh, check this out. I'm not hyping it up for him. Like, here's a franchise that I loved as a kid. Let's check it out. And I was like, huh, okay, well, were, right on. But, were you not worried that child services would arrest you for, uh, like, punishing your child that way isn't that child endangerment making you know, watch he, he, the nightmare on elm street series he did say that of all the franchises that we've watched so far uh, now he likes cheesy freddy because he, he he's a cheese ball he likes movies for the the air quotes wrong reasons but he said that this was his least favorite of the franchises that we've watched so far but uh anyway you know to, for, to speak to acting uh you know i'm right there with you i'm i'm you know, not as critical as you have been, but I understand everything you've said about, you know, her performances in the other films. And But I felt she did a damn good job in this film. Is it any real stretch playing yourself? Maybe not, but she was good. Little Miko Hughes is always haunting, channeling his inner Danny Torrance to great effect. I'll say, you know, like I, I said before, he had some wonky moments here and there. But by and large, he's a he was a talented child actor in his day. Uh, I think he was on an episode of Full House, but I might be lying. Uh, as for Mr. England, uh, he took it back to basics on this one and gave us a solid, darker performance as the Freddy entity thingy. Uh, 7 out of 10 for me, folks. Good stuff. All right. I do like when the little kid does the whole fucking omen thing at the yeah. playground. That was fucking <laughs> right. dope. Uh, Kenneth. I gave it 7. I mean, it wasn't it, it, it wasn't anything that really blew me away, but it wasn't really anything that majorly sucked. You know, I mean, and there's a couple of instances where it didn't suck, and that was unfortunate, you know, because I'd love to see Hanger La Heather Langenkamp sucking on something. But, uh, yeah, she's hot, uh, or at least she was. Well, you know what? She did look good in that business suit in the beginning of the movie. Right. Black tights. Mm. Yeah, I'll give you that. 
Yeah, I like. Yeah, I definitely like the legs, and I don't mind her mouth being open. You know, we all know that I have my uh, my thing with chicks with bigger teeth. Um, I so, love you, Kenneth. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I like chicks with bigger teeth. I mean, you I, know. I fuck. I forgot to write it. I was on Reddit, and I found out that there is a specific name for people who are into the fetish of um, uh, women with uh, uh, bigger teeth. Yeah, I mean, I do. I just dig it. You what? know what I'm saying? Yeah, straight up. That's not bullshit either. That's not a joke. That's real. I really no, I just, do. I, I just I didn't re- know there was a name to that. Yeah, yeah I really and I do fucking, dig chicks with bigger teeth. I meant to write it down, and I forgot to. Um, You know, I'm not talking about, you know, where she comes out like Sarah Jessica Parker and looks like a horse, but... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I mean, just that slight, you know, where they got a smile and it's just, you know, almost kind of fucking cartoonish. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I'll see if I can't find you a good visualization. I'll send it to you, Watson. Okay, all right. (laughs) But yeah, overall, I mean, I mean, it was cool. It was it was interesting seeing people characterize themselves, you know, like um, that. Yeah, I mean, it was just interesting to see that, you know what I'm saying, where it's just like, you know, you got Robert England who's being himself, but he's exaggerating himself. And and then you got Wes Craven who's obviously exaggerating himself. And then, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know for sure whether um, – what's the dude's name? Robert uh, the guy, uh No, Bob, that- Bob Shea. Bob Shea, yeah. I don't know whether he would be that fucking pretentious douchebag business guy or not but it seems like that he was overplaying that up he was overplaying that hollywood persona of a you know guy that runs a fucking movie studio sure sure you know what i'm saying so i gotta give him credit for that but there were a couple of like miko hughes he he was better in pet cemetery and the crazy thing is is he was younger you know he was like three in pet cemetery you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I guess that's a testament. I, I, I didn't really like his acting in it. You know, there, and I, and I, and I realized that it was a kid. You know, a very young kid. But come on, man. There was a couple of things in there where it's just like, you know, uh, when he's doing the 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 voice of, you know, and and and, and like, where was it at? I think it was when he was in the hospital. He's like, never sleep again. <laughs> It was just fucking lame, dude. I was like, oh my god, really? You know, I like when he yells for his dinosaur. Yeah, that and, and yeah, a bitch just died in front of him, and he's like, "Where's my dinosaur?" And that scene too, you know, where he's like reaching up, and he's like, "I'm like, my god, man." Yeah, I'm like, dude. In the first movie, when when Tina's getting slit the fuck up. The dude at least did a better job reaching for her. Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't. I, I, there was just certain things that he just that I've seen other child actors around that age do far better. Yeah, I'm with you. I will say uh, the one thing I liked about uh, Bob Shea's performance is uh, the awkwardness in him skirting around the uh, phone call. I thought that was a great little touch with her bringing up the phone calls and like, have you had any weird fucking phone calls? And uh, him re- and him not wanting to answer the phone and kind of skirting around the whole thing. 
Yeah, but at the same time, you got right behind that. Heather Langenkamp's awful acting at that moment where she's just like, why don't you answer your phone, Bob? Oh, my God. And she does her wide-eyed fucking thing. That was fucking... Oh, my God. For the most part, she did fairly well in this movie. That section right there was fucking terrible. I don't remember that author. (laughs) That fucking... I've seen fucking wooden Indian chiefs do a better fucking acting than that fucking one. Jesus did you guys Christ. did you guys find it funny that uh, we had Lynn Shay in this film not playing Lynn Shay? Oh yeah, she was a nurse in the fucking yeah, hospital. A... And that was another one, another acting job that I thought was terrible was the uh, the the I guess the the doctor. Yeah, her acting job was fucking. Oh, awful. generic Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was awful. You know what I'm saying? Like when she sticks her hands up, you know what I'm saying? And she's got the scalpels on her thing. Why don't we cut this evil out of him? And I was just like, that's fucking awful. That is awful. It's terrible. I would not even find you scary. If to that be fair, that is seen through the eyes of Heather Lankenkamp, which means the bad acting is Heather's fault. <laughs> oh, my God. So, but what? Yeah, is that not terrible. sound logic? That's hilarious. I like it. The same thing with uh, when when she's sitting there talking to her about, you know, when when Heather jumps up and she's like, I want my son out of here right now. That was actually pretty good. I enjoyed that. And then the doctor comes back around with it with her awful acting. And she's just like, as soon as we can get together, the appropriate papers. I was Once like, Once again, Heather's way to fault. Ruin it. She was she was around Heather for too long. It affected her acting. Yeah, but Heather Heather's acting was good at that moment, man. I could totally That's see because her being Heather, a solid mom pissed off because she wants her son to get better treatment than that, and she knows what's really going on. That's because Heather stole her acting talent through a basketball. Oh wait, no, I'm mixing up space balls. I mean, not space balls. Fucking <laughs> space jam again. Space jam. And another scene that. that I didn't like was when I didn't yeah. like when uh, when what, what was the chick's name that got fucking drug around? The uh, sale, Julie. Julie. Yeah, Julie. I didn't like it when she when she looks at at uh, at Dylan and it's like, "Help me!" When she's on the ceiling, I did. I, for some reason, I just didn't like that. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, when Tina does it, it's like, well, of course Tina's doing it. She's got dudes come inside of her. He fucking better get up and do something. <laughs> His boy, little boy is not responsible unless they're fucking, I don't know, into fucking Shotokan or something. Well, it was just, I, I don't know. There was just something. It's not like, I didn't think, I, I, I think that right there was kind of misplaced. I don't think. There was something about it that just did not sit right with me. And I don't mean like from an unnerving because, you know, she's a dead chick and blah, blah, blah. I don't mean like that. I, I just, it feels like one of those things that's like, it was like a, uh, it was like it was supposed to be in there to, to unsettle you because she's asking this little boy to help her when she's about to die and it was supposed to be unsettling. But at the same time, it missed the mark. Completely. Do you think it was the hospital setting? I don't think it was the hospital setting. Okay. I just think that I, just, I don't know. There was just something about the, the delivery, or I can't put my finger on it. She but did it not have the desperation in her voice or face to match someone who is being murdered, and the only person they can look for to get help is a little child that they normally are the one that is in control of. They are the one who have the responsibility and the power to protect protect that child and she had literally just did that by fucking straight up jaw jacking a fucking nurse right and, and now so- she's been driven to the point of desperation that she is trying to ask 
him for help as if he could do anything, but she just doesn't have the chops to deliver the line uh, voice-wise or face-wise. Exactly. If we'd have had Jerry on the fucking set to describe to that bitch how she was supposed to act, it would have been perfect. Because that's exactly what I'm talking about. I would do that, but then Heather would use a basketball to take my podcasting skills. (laughs) <laughs> all right all right all right i'm gonna stop doing that uh all right but yeah i mean jerry just described it perfectly it was missing that yeah all right we're moving on because i can sit here and talk shit about heather's acting all day uh so we'll go into special effects jay gave it an eight and i give it a seven uh you know the entire time i was watching this i barely thought of special effects uh uh, this movie focused to me more on story and atmosphere than most of the other flicks in the movies. Uh, and while all the special effects looked good, none of them are that memorable to me. Uh, nothing really stands out whatsoever. I can name you special effects that happen in the movie, but I'm not going to sit here like it's Friday the 13th part seven and be like, did you see that fucking pier shaking? Like, I'm just not, it's eh, nothing, nothing that great. Uh, nothing that is terrible. So I don't know. It's a hand job for me. Uh, Watson. Yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there with you with that seven, man. Uh, you know, this being the early to mid nineties, you know, you're going to find some, a few shoddy moments here and there that don't necessarily hold up anymore. The, the Freddy entity in the cloud sequence is a little gnarly. And I, I don't know how I felt about the bony Freddy glove. Other than that though, I mean, we got some good practicals with what kills we get solid makeup. The scene where Freddy's stretching out his arm and unhinging his jaw looks good in HD. Good enough, anyway. Those gross, green, pasty stairs Heather had to walk through as a callback to the OG film, you know. That, that looked great. And just whatever they did in post to tie everything together as a, as a horror film worked for me. You know, sometimes some, sometimes special effects aren't all about the blood and the makeup, but have everything to do with how you transition from one scene and into another to create an effective world. Like the scene where Heather and, and the kid jump in the water and then cut, suddenly they're sliding out of the kid's bed. You know, it's good work. Uh, seven out of 10. Yeah. Oh, I also have to say, once again, Freddy extending his arm does not look good. It does not look scary. Stop fucking doing it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Kenneth, go ahead. I'll give it a nine. I like the special effects in this. I thought it was good, especially for the time. The thing that I hated the most was you could definitely tell that in that scene where all the Freddies run up against the side of the interstate that those are all fucking shitty-looking masks. But but the rest of it I thought was pretty solid. I like the fact of him coming up out of the clouds. I thought the giant fucking glove in the air holding Dylan up and down, I thought that was pretty good. Um, So I really enjoyed that. Um, I absolutely love the sequences where uh, Heather's falling out of the water as it's coming out of basically like Demon Freddy's face. You know, I really dig the special effects on that. I thought that was cool. I love the opening sequence where you've got the metal, the the mechanical glove running around and fucking killing those two dudes at the beginning. I really, really enjoyed that. Even though you could tell it was kind of green screeny, but I really, really liked it. Um, I actually preferred the fucking mechanical robot glove over the actual glove. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Um, so I really, really dig that. Um, I liked uh, one of my favorite sequences is when the cracks that look like fucking claw marks come up in the wall. Yeah. That was one of my favorite sequences. I really, really like that. Um, that to me would be fucking, if that were me laying in the bed and I saw that shit, that fucking shit would wig me out. I'd be like, all right. And, I'd you know, it'd be Tennessee for me. Um, mm-hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? So I re- I really enjoyed that. I also like when Freddie comes directly up out of the bed and, you know, before she like completely, you know, uh, before she completely immerses herself in the Nancy, you know, I like when it comes up because you can see where the fucking top of the sheet's kind of getting a little wet from the fucking goo and shit that's on his head. Uh, I like that. Um and I really, really liked when the claw comes up and cuts the sheet all the way down, and then she wakes up, and then she finds the strips of the sheet in the bed. I really, really liked that sequence. I thought that was really cool. So I actually really enjoyed the special effects. Fair oh, enough. Yeah. Uh, all right, we move on to kills slash gore. Jay gave it a five, and I also give it a five. Uh, there's not much here, and what few kills we get are barely noticeable. I mean, fuck. How many fucking people die from just getting stabbed in the chest in this movie literally the first three kills are all stabs in the chest and the second kill not even a fucking inch of that of each blade goes into that guy not even an inch i've seen fucking women take fucking a dick in their ass a lot fucking harder uh when it slips out of the vagina and accidentally goes in and fucking live through it and this guy took a tiny, tiny bit. Like, you could find the most fucking homophobic, racist guy out there. He could take more of a dick in his ass than this dude could take those blades in his chest. It was fucking pathetic. I, you would have had to shove a lot more in my ass to, to fucking kill me, okay? You would have had to little Nicky pineapple up Hitler's ass to fucking get me. And this died guy died from a fucking, not even the tip of a pinky going in his chest. Get the fuck out of here. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street is supposed to have creative kills. The best kill in this movie is a copy from the first one, but done not as good with the only slight advantage you get to sleep, see uh, Freddy do it, which I guess is kind of cool. Um, but other than that, fucking weak, you get a five and you only get a five because I'm being generous because I had this whole anal rant ready. Uh, Watson. I, I like uh, I like your <laughs> your approach to rating this uh, equating the uh, the glove uh, penetration to the anal penetration uh, accidental anal penetration. Well, it came to I me like that. when uh, Freddie killed the husband. He mm-hmm. went and put a claw just on the, the tip of it on the penis and was like, "Nope, oh nope, I don't, I don't like penis." Um, and it was I, to me, it almost felt like. Wes Craven taking a shot at Friday the 13th Part 2. I mean, not Friday the 13th Part 2. Fuck, I gotta stop thinking of better movies. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Kind of saying, look guys, Freddy's not gay. And th- that could just be me thinking he was doing that. But that's what I got out of that scene. So I thought, well, you know what? Why, why don't I just take this completely off the fucking cliff and do just the, uh, a rant about... Uh, yeah. Anal sex and penetration uh, to show my distaste of it. Yeah, I mean, and and you know what? Anal analogy aside, I mean, I'm right. I'm I'm right there with you, man. Uh, You know, this film doesn't highlight the kills much at all. You know, we get two. You know, those two kills early on with the glove, and 
I don't know. They're they're not remarkable in any way. And that yeah, that second one, you're right. That was. That was that's that's some uh, that's kind of egregious. Uh, Heather's husband's kill, you know, is is good and bloody, nice practicals, but nothing we haven't seen before. It, honestly, all my points are basically going to Julie's kill at the hospital, and you know, it's it's my favorite kill in the movie because I mean, what else? What what other kills are there? And it's you know, like you said, an updated version of Tina's awesome kill in the OG, and in many ways, it works about as well because, like you said, we're. While we see Tina being flung around by an invisible force in the OG flick, we get to see what Freddy's or the Freddy entity rather is doing to Julie, you know, both in the dream world and in the real world. So kudos to that. Seven out of 10 for me. Uh, solid. But I mean, it's really just for that one kill. All right, Kenneth. I, and I feel that was generous, honestly. Like, like you said, I feel five. like you were generous. Yeah. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I have an eight at this and I don't know why, because all the points you made are things that I thought about. So I, I don't I, honestly, I don't know why I put that on there. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote down an eight, because I know one of the biggest things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about the kills is they're like rehashes of the of the first movie. There are and, what five kills in this movie? Three. The first three guys die by getting stabbed in the chest. Uh, Julie dies by rehashing Tina's death, and then Freddie dies by getting set on fire. Right. And so that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. It's just like I don't know where I came up with an eight, but I'm stuck with it. But I don't know what it was because damn the the best kill in the movie was Tina's and I don't know. But I, re- I, I honestly Tina's Yeah. I, yeah, Tina's. Um but <laughs> it was uh honestly I actually kinda liked the one at the beginning where uh where the uh the robot glove is kind of basically uh pureeing that dude's chest. I really like that. That just looks like it would be just fucking horrible. So I actually did kind of like that one. But I don't think it deserved an 8. But like I said, I'm stuck with it now. So I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, well, mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. All right. Monster slash killer. Jay gave it an 8, and I also gave it an 8. I really like that Freddy got a redesign in this movie clothing-wise. I'm really glad he inspired the Columbine shooting. I'm I'm okay oh. with it. Um uh I I like less jokey Freddy. Uh I'm not a fan of Boneface Freddy. Um too much bone. I don't uh I didn't like it. I wasn't a fan of it. I felt like it, it didn't sit well with me. It didn't look I I felt like they were trying to be more menacing. But it's hard to be menacing when you get kicked out of the Trent Coat Mafia for wearing a fucking felt green fedora. So Agreed, agreed. I'm kind of torn. I gave him an 8 because I do like this Freddy a lot more than uh, all the other Freddies because he's not jokey. And I like the trench coat. I just don't like the fucking hat. Who the fuck wears a fucking green hat he looked like he won a fucking golf tournament and was like uh can you cover my fedora in this grass i just want to remember this forever (laughs) um i want to remember this forever (laughs) and uh i apologize uh for my columbine joke it uh it was me bowling for attention (laughs) anyway now that i'm off my soapbox watson what you got uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a nine here, gentlemen. Uh, like I, th- I think I mentioned earlier, you know, the idea 
that we're dealing with this real world dream demon that's manifesting itself as Freddy simply because of the power of the actual films themselves and the horror paradigm that came about as a result of those films. That right there is every bit as brilliant as the original concept of Freddy himself as a killer who gets in your you know gets you in your sleep. Plus, the way England plays him here calls back to those first two you know those first two films where Freddy really was a scary monster. I think the goal here was to strip away the jokey bullshit to give us a picture of the real evil behind the bone face of Freddy. Uh, and aside from that bone face and that hat, uh, I think it's genius. Nine, nine out of ten. Kenneth, I gave it a seven. And the the seven points are for the menacing and the backstory of it. I, I, I'm with Watson. I really enjoyed the fact that, the, you know, this is like a demon, you know, the, the whole genie in the bottle aspect of it and all the rest of that. I thought that was really cool. Um, I enjoyed it. And the fact that he was a lot more menacing in this one up until you get to, like, the witch sequences at the end of it where he's like, I got some gingerbread for you and blah, blah, blah. I thought that was kind of – I like I – liked, the idea of that where they were going with it. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't, I don't think it was executed very well. Um, the look was terrible. I thought the look of him was terrible. You know, uh, I'm with Jerry on the fucking, the green fedora, especially when you watch it on Blu-ray, it's even more green on Blu-ray. Um, oh I, my God. It looks like your uncle that probably touched you when you were younger. It's his, it's what it's his Christmas hat. Yeah, I mean it was awful. Christmas. I did not like. I did not like the the makeup. You know what I'm saying? It almost made it 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 made Freddie look fat. It, that's kind of what it looked like to me. I didn't like it. Um, I didn't like the muscles coming through and stuff like that. The underneath, I did not like that at all. I thought the glove looked shitty. I did not like the fucking thumb blade on there. I didn't think that was cool at all. Um, I just uh, I, the the sad part about it is is it looked like Robert England wasn't wearing makeup. It looked like he was wearing a mask. I did not like it at all. You know, yeah, I'm with you. And, and 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 the same thing with you know seeing fucking uh you know Freddy Krueger in fucking leather pants with goddamn you know 32 odd Doc Martens on. I just I, I just did not dig it. You know the trench coat idea. I'm kind of on the fence about. But otherwise, I just didn't. I did not dig the look overall of of Freddy in this one. I didn't dig it at all. Yeah. Also, I mean, Freddy is known for his fucking glove. You didn't give him a glove. Like, it's like having Jason with no machete. Come the fuck on. And and I have seen interviews with Wes Craven where he straight up said that you know maybe he should have went a different direction with the makeup. Of how the 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 concept design of how Freddie looked in this one, he even straight up said it. So, you know, it's one hey, of those things. Hey, you hear that, Adam Marcus? You can admit you fucked up as a director. Can you believe it? He totally should. Holy shit! It's a miracle. Um, all right, we move on to hero. Uh, Jay gave it a six. I gave it a seven because it's Heather being Nancy, being Heather, being Nancy, being Heather, and I was okay with it. Uh, it's about all I fucking got there. Um, Watson. Jerry, I'm right there at a seven with you, buddy. I think incorporating a real world Heather Langdenkamp as an actress, transforming her into the Nancy character. I think that stuff is incredibly sharp. I like it. I'm down with her distress as a mother who will do anything for her son. She's definitely the strongest and most realistic she's ever been here as she seeks to rid her life of this, of this Fred, 
Freddy dream demon real world thingy. Seven from me. Solid stuff. Yeah. Kenneth. She got a seven from me also. I mean, it was cool. I like the motherly aspect of it. You know what I'm saying and whatnot. But, you know, it wasn't the greatest. It, there's really not a whole lot I can go into with it. It, was, it, I, it got a seven for me. All right. Uh, score soundtrack. Jay gave it a seven. I gave it a six because I didn't really notice it, and I cannot tell you a single song or a piece in the movie where I can remember the music. So um, I, I just gave it a, a six because it obviously didn't do anything to take me out of the movie. So that's not that bad, I guess. Uh, Watson. Yeah, Jerry, I, I'm I'm a I'm a little lower than you. I'm at a five, but I, everything you said is exactly where I was where I was on this. You know, aside from that, th- this time around watching it, I noticed that uh, when they appeared on the the daytime talk show, you know, you get that version of the Elm Street theme, and and it's like it's this weird, just like Ellen DeGeneres version of the Elm Street song, and I, I thought that was pretty funny and, and it entertained me. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't say I noticed much about this film's music, and I'm a music guy. I, I can say though that there are examples of some overdramatic score here and there where it's coming off. Like you, you mentioned the omen earlier and I was thinking, yo, like, yeah, it's like when he's, it's actually that scene in the playground. It's like this epic, you know, music. And I'm just like, this ain't the omen bitch. Like get, get, you know, leave that at home. Like five out of 10. All right. Kenneth. I'm coming in with an eight. I like the score on this. It was definitely different. Um, I don't know how y'all missed it. I actually really enjoyed the scope of the orchestral aspects of it, especially in that scene and stuff like that, because the what they were trying to convey with this movie is they were trying to convey, even though it was executed poorly in certain spots, that what they were trying to ex- convey with this movie is that it was the scope of this, that it was different. It was a bigger scale, you know, and, and so they added that stuff in it. Not to mention that at the end of it, you know, when the, when the credits start coming in, you know, I really, really enjoyed that part of it too. Actually, you can hear it when fucking... Uh, Freddie, that spot that I like where he comes up in the sheets and then she says, uh, yes, daddy or whatever, and fully embodies the Nancy character again. And he yeah. fucking rips himself out. You can hear something that's completely different. You know, it's, it's that bana, bana, da doom, da doom, bana, bana. That it's great. I think it was fucking fantastic. It goes away from that weird, uh, uh, from that weird piano kind of synthesized thing that was in that was in the in the first ones that we all know and love, it went beyond that and it gave it more of an underneath push. I really really liked it. It took it it took it in a different direction and mm. and I really really enjoyed it. So I, I gave it an eight. I guess I probably would have heard it more if it wasn't all getting sucked into Heather's mouth. <laughs> And again, unfortunately, I didn't get to see anything getting sucked into her mouth. All right. Scare Factor. Jay gave it a 7 and I gave it a 6 because, to me, the scariest part of this uh, movie is the relationship um, she has with her son and her son being creepy and sleepwalking. And you know he sleepwalks as you later on admit in the fucking movie, yet you run and wake him up while he's sleepwalking, even though everyone knows you don't do that to someone who's fucking sleepwalking. You know, it's a myth. Is it? Mm-hmm. Well, way to make me sound fucking stupid, Kenneth. I'm not Watson. <laughs> I don't have a learning fetish. I have. A, I want to be right all the time fetish. <laughs> Damn it. Never mind. You're welcome. I fucking... 
watch and say something. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that about the sleepwalking thing either. And also, yeah, scare factor. So, you know, this was a hard, this a hard one for me because I rarely experience fear whilst watching horror. But as a kid, when I had seen this movie a couple times, Heather's son's performance always just sketched me out. Plus, the fact that Freddy isn't telling jokes anymore made him feel that much more sinister, which is good. However, I don't think this movie will scare. And I, I'm like last time with the with the Friday movie, uh, with Friday with the New Blood. I'm I'm kind of looking at like, okay, how would a new audience perceive this? And I don't think this film would scare kids in this day and age because films like this are really a product of their time and place in horror. And this one specifically is a product of its time and place in its own franchise, which from my personal subjective perspective, isn't necessarily all that strong, um, you know, for, for new audiences. So props to this movie for going back to basics and making Freddy serious again. So I, I gave it a six. All right. Kenneth. We are at scare. I gave it a six. It's not really that scary. It's an entertaining watch. I mean, you know, and the story is interesting. But other than that, it's really just not that scary. You know, even when I watched it back in the day, um, <laughs> believe it or not, when I was going through my uh, my phase of absolutely being terrified of Freddy Krueger when I was a kid, this was the first movie that I watched that brought me out of that in the whole series. So, but it just wasn't. It wasn't that scary at all. So, I mean, I gave it a six, and that was kind of me being generous. All right. Entertainment. Jay gave it a seven. I gave it a six. I, I mostly found the movie boring, um, and it overplayed the mother-son going crazy for just too long. That could have been shortened to shorten the movie uh, to bring out the pacing and editing. Um, while I do enjoy the story, it is a, a long, long trip to hell. And the devil don't suck as good a dick as he promised. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and that's coming from a Satanist, so you know I know what I'm talking about. Um, Watson. So, you know, I, I actually had this at a six, and then I bumped it up to a seven, and then I bumped it up to an eight. Uh, and, and, it's, and here's why. Because I love meta horror. Uh, the Rise of Leslie Vernon, Cabin in the Woods, Scream, You Might Be the Killer, Rubber, Funny Games, all those. You know, these things speak to me when they're done in an intelligent way. And New Nightmare does this aspect of its mystery and its plot correctly. I think there are aspects of it like like that are do get slow and convoluted a little bit. Maybe a little inaccessible to some like maybe newer viewers who aren't as maybe familiar with, you know, I guess – meta horror or whatnot but i found myself pretty entertained enough to give it an eight all right kenneth i'll also coming in with an eight i mean i thought it was fairly entertaining it's one of those that i will probably you know for the most part you know comes across on tv i'll probably end up leaving it on there so it's fairly entertaining i enjoy it i try to look for different things that i may have missed on previous watches you know just in ca just in case there's any kind of bullshit lied in there but other than that you know, it's fairly entertaining. I'll give it an 8. All right. We move on to rewatchability. Jay gave it a 7. I give it a 5. It is just way too slow for my taste, and the payoff really is not worth it. Plus, I really don't like the fact that it pulls a Marley in me. Uh, the death of Rex is just too hard to watch over and over. <laughs> uh, Watson, rewatchability. Yeah, yeah, I, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Uh, I, I already said before when we looked at uh, The New Blood, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with rewatches. That said, you know, if, 
you know, it's funny because I, I was harsh on that one, but I, it looks like I, in my breakdown here, I gave this a little more leeway that I maybe should have given the new blood, uh, in, in this way, because if I could get a little more objective, I think if you're into this story, if you watch it once, not really knowing what you're getting into, and then if you give it another watch soon thereafter, knowing how Craven wanted to tie Freddy into the real world, and if you're keeping a close eye on how he goes about doing that, I think a single rewatch could be rewarding. So, yeah, I gave that a 5 out of 10. All right. Kenneth. I gave it a 6. I mean, it's, it's one of those that, you know... Um, when it really comes down to it, it is slow, you know, so the rewatchability, would I go out of my way to rewatch it? Probably not. But, you know, it, it, it's one of those movies where uh, it could be a hit or a miss. So I gave it a six. All right. We move on to pop culture. Jay gave it a six and I also gave it a six. Um, all I could think of while watching this was like this was his practice one for Scream. Uh, meta horror, um, talking about how horror movies affect their fans. Um, it really did seem like a- after this movie, he, he just sat down and was like, I can do it better. Um, and, and with that, he went on to do scream. Um, and I think in the real world, the non horror world, I don't think anyone remembers this Freddy. But I do think they r- remember Scream, and I think they have this Freddy to thank for it, this movie to thank for it. And in the horror community, New Nightmares held pretty fucking high. People seem to really, really like this one. And I will say, I think part of it's because of how fucking bad uh, the couple of parts before it are. But, and I think anytime you have a franchise that's run that low and then has something that fucking comes back and hits real high, I I think that's going to give it more reverence than it normally would have had. So with that, I kind of bounced everything around. I rolled a a six-sided dice that had six on every side and whatever (laughs) it landed on is what I let it be. Uh, So Watson, what do you got? Jerry, I like what you said about this being a precursor to Scream. You know, we, we you know we in the in the horror community know that to be the case, but you know the general public who will you know non horror fans know what Scream was, and they, you're right, they absolutely have this film to thank for it. Kind of like you know if you think of the Frighteners, the people who love Lord of the Rings have the Frighteners to thank for it. So in that case, and you know, the Frighteners that kinda... is a better movie than all three to Lord of the Rings and all three Hobbit movies. Oh, I, love, I love you, Jerry. And combined. <laughs> I love you, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, but you know, this was yet again a case where I approached this pop culture pop culture category just in the spirit of what do non horror fans think of it. And you're absolutely right. Had I considered the reverence that horror fans do have for this, because they do, I, it, just like you said, man, coming off a lot of these sequels, people saw New Nightmare and was like, this is a step up. So if I'd been thinking about that. My number would be a lot higher than it is. But speaking to how I approached pop culture, so unlike its predecessors, this wasn't a smash hit by any stretch of the imagination. You know, during its theater run, it didn't even gross 20 million worldwide. This is a Freddy movie, and it didn't it didn't get those numbers. It made a little over six million in its opening weekend, so that should tell you even how horror fans took it, at least opening weekend. But this category to me has, you know, 
little to do with the horror fans, like I said. So it's more to do with how the popular culture at large received it. Non-horror fans, Jerry, like you said, won't know this Freddy Krueger at all. Uh, Non-horror fans will know absolutely nothing about this movie. In many ways, the franchise was done at this point, which is why it was nine years before we saw another appearance from Freddy and Freddy vs. Jason. As far as how I approached pop culture, and and like I said earlier, I wished I'd done it like you guys did it, but for those who maybe think of it like I do, just non-horror fans only, I gave it a one. One out of ten. And I'm sad to have done so. That was a really long-winded way to tell me you disappoint me. Uh, and that's how it'll always go. I'll definitely give you a speech before I basically say sorry, Jerry. <laughs> sorry for that that uh, non-blow job. Sorry. Uh, Kenneth, go ahead. And I completely disagree. I do. I awesome. uh, The thing about it is, is I, uh, you know, taking into consideration horror fans and stuff like that, you know, that uh, that definitely bumped it up. But I remember when this movie came out. And I, how old are you, Watson? I'm 34. Do you remember when it came out? I do remember, but none of my non-whore fans know anything about this flick. Yeah, I remember when it came out, and it was, I remember everybody talking about it when it came out. Not as much as Freddy's Dead, obviously, but I remember everybody around me, like family members and stuff like that, and kids at school, everybody talking about a new Freddy finally coming out. And I remember it being really, really popular. Um, I think that the popularity for it grew when it came out on VHS because I don't think that a lot of people went and saw it in a theater just because of how terrible Freddy's Dead was uh, in accordance to the amount of uh, hype that Freddy's Dead got because uh, Freddy's Dead got a huge amount of hype. And oh, yeah. then, and then the movie I remember turned seeing out. it on uh, TV a lot, TBS and TNT and USA and Sci-Fi Channel. I remember it popping up a lot on those channels. But oh, this was on, on in the gym the other night, like on the Sci-Fi Channel. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, but back then, you know, like I said, I think the hype came with the VHS because in the theater, everybody was just like, people were disappointed with freddy's dead especially with the amount of hype that was behind the you know the funeral ceremony that they had and all the rest of this shit you know everything that they had done to promote freddy's dead and then on top of that the 3d aspect of it and then people were just disappointed so i think what happened at that time in 1994 was the fact that people they they didn't want to invest in something like that and it and and at this time period you know you started having to work being able to go and get VHSs was a lot more readily accessible than it was at the time than it was beforehand and so on and so forth so i think that this one the reason why i gave it a 9 is because of its its popularity didn't come until later it's one of those that grew at the time in 1994 and 95, it's it that's where it grew. It sure, grew like the that. thing, like, yeah, kind of like the thing, yeah, okay, I, I feel you, right? And and so, I remember everybody talking about it, and I also remember when I watched it, it was on VHS, you know, uh, we ended up renting it when everybody else was renting it, so it was one of those things where it definitely grew its popularity then. And I and 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 I think the younger generation of non horror fans. You know what I'm saying? Probably wouldn't for now, but the older generation of non-horror fans, I know a lot of them that know this movie. And so I, I, I guess it would be one of those things that's maybe more regional, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but I remember it having a lot of popularity, so I gave it a nine. Nice. 
Damn. All right. Well, here we go. Um, the breakdown goes as this. I gave it a 99 out of 150. Kenneth gave it a 113. Jay gave it a 101. And Watson gave it a 103. Which means Friday the 13th wins against Nightmare on Elm Street. 431 versus 416. Friday won by a mere 15 points. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's good. But as with uh, all Nightmare movies, let me check and make sure... I don't have anything else I need to say about this movie. Um, uh, do, 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 do. Uh, Heather needs a gun. This is a pro Second Amendment movie. Someone get Heather a gun and she won't have to worry about creepy calls because as soon as they call, she cocks that fucking gun and says, show up, bitch. Yeah. Um, a line well, I fucking loved is when... the California. Oh, fuck, you're right. But it's California in the 90s. It don't matter. California's always been that way. Wow. Yep. Well, so, shit. Um, okay. A line I loved is when the little kid said, God wouldn't take me. That was fucking some omen shit right there. And later on, yeah. it's, it's referenced uh, again at the... Uh, Robert England says it. Um, uh, when uh, he asked... Robert England asked Wes Craven... Uh, how far are you in the script? And Robert uh, Robert England says that Wes Craven implies as far as Dylan reaching God. Um, So that plays together really well. Uh, But Wes Craven, it's not a good fucking answer for someone asking about a script. Uh, And his, you know, the boy you're referencing, it's his dad's funeral. This is the part when I heard that that made me think of Wes Craven being the one involved in the sending the letters and making the phone calls. What do you think happened to Robert England in the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he was a shitty friend and dipped. He couldn't deal with it. He he either he either couldn't deal with it because he got freaked out by his painting, or he just didn't actually care. Because John Saxon is shown as a good friend throughout the whole movie. Um, even kind of in the end when he's kind of taken over and becomes Nancy's dad. He's still a good friend throughout the whole movie. As to where Robert England uh, obviously cares more about his fame and playing Freddy Krueger. From the scene of them walking out of the studio. Um, him being like, no I can't see you. Um, and to be fair, uh, they say something like he just left. He went to go do, he just, he just disappeared. Um, right. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, and I've always thought this, I'm wondering what they were trying to convey by that because no other, no other character in the movie just disappears without getting killed. You know, like we don't see Wes Craven that much. He kind of disappears, but damn, like Bob Shea. I mean, I it 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 doesn't give you that drop off. You know what I'm saying? Like We're Bob more, Shea. Yeah, just, it's more of with the cast, right? And so it's just like you know, you don't hear about Bob Shea anymore because he fucking runs New Line Cinema. Why the fuck would you hear about him anymore? You know, but Robert England, there's there's some sort, and I've never been able to put my finger on it. There's some sort of specificity to him disappearing. And I'm trying to, and I've always tried to figure out what they were trying to convey that, you know, the, because it happens, 
right before Freddy really starts showing up. Could it be that um, with drawing that painting, it it scared him so bad that he started believing what Nancy or what Heather was telling him, and because he maybe thought that he that Freddy would come through him, that he removed himself from the situation because he thought it would protect them. Jerry, I actually had that thought. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, would you guys have liked to see Freddie kill Robert England or would that have been too silly? Do you think that's why they maybe kept him out of the action? May have been. Or the original idea may have been a throwback to part two. You know what I'm saying? Even though uh, Wes Craven really didn't have any nice things to say about it. But, you know, uh, that whole using Robert England as the vessel because Robert England was the the quote-unquote entity from the – I don't know what's the best way that I can describe this. He embodied the entity over a period of time, not just the character but the entity itself. You know, maybe Robert England was the bottle. Man, that would have been an interesting plot point if they had had a movie where, you know, they focused on Heather in this one, which – good angle, great angle. I like that. But, you know, if they had focused on, uh, you know, at least a side story or just, you know, in an alternate reality where the story happens to be that poor actor Robert England is just like, holy shit, uh, something's happening in my life and things are crazy. I think this Freddy thing is going to come through me for real. I don't know. I- I'd watch that. Yeah. Or, or you know, like I said, going, in, going into what I was saying just a second ago about him being a bottle. What if it was, you know, one of those aspects where the uh, he, he's like the conduit between the 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 demon's world and and our world so freddie has to come through him and the only way almost like he's he's either a conduit or he's the lock between the two because mm-hmm. since since he's the one that plays the character he would be the one that would you know like i said before keep it in the bottle so yeah, if see- robert england's gone then there's no more cork in the bottle but I, th- I see, I think it's all Wes Craven. I think because Wes Craven created him, Wes Craven is the one who dreamed all this up, wrote a script, directed it. Even though Robert Ingham plays the character, it really is Wes Craven that is the creator. It's the father. He's the father. Yeah, and he that's tapped into think, that. Yeah, that ether. Yeah. So yeah. I think Robert England maybe. I, I like my theory that Wes Craven is the one. Because at the end of the movie, it's Wes Craven signing that script mm-hmm. and and it showing up for it. It's Wes Craven. And I think the fact that it's Wes Craven's name on it is very big. I honestly would stick. I like my two theories on uh, Wes Craven being the actual conduit and Robert England being so, being scared that he's the one doing it, that he removes himself from the situation. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got no problems with that, homie. Um, so well said. Jeez, inter- very, very interesting. Uh, there was a couple of things I wanted to put. Uh, uh, na- uh, Heather, why did you not give any of those pages to the police so they could check for fingerprints and know that the fucking stalker knows where you live? Um, if you know your son's a sleepwalker, take him to the damn doctor to get him medicine. You know how hard uh, it is to get fingerprints off a piece of paper. I'm just saying you, but she didn't even tell the cops. 
I mean, that would be a problem. But, you know, the thing about it is, is, okay, what fingerprints are based off of is they're based off the oils in your fingers. So when you put them on a, on a surface like a gun or a knife or something like that, those things aren't porous. So therefore, the oils from your fingers don't go inside of it. The same thing with like something with a wood handle or something like that. Those generally have some type of lacquer on the outside of them to keep them breaking down and keep them from breaking down as quickly over time with constant use. So therefore, you're going to have fingerprints on top of it. A piece of paper, the oils from your fingers just soak into the paper so you're not going to have any fingerprints serial killer or watches a lot of stuff about serial killers you be the judge <laughs> um okay um you go in the bed gloves in the bed freddy's glove um uh, what else do i have in here uh i really don't think this little kid would be that good at hiding fucking uh medicine from the doctor uh <laughs> Never can tell, man. Also, I I don't know if y'all ever watched uh, any of the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons. One, there were a couple of different cartoons, but one of them was like really goofy, where he ate chili cheese dog and shit. And he would do like a Sonic says lying to the doctor, or he would say Sonic says, uh, blah 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 is no good. And I like a picture is Sonic doing that and saying lying to the doctor is no good. <laughs> like what um, Sonic's doing like a PSA. Yes, yeah, he used to do PSAs on his old cartoons. Uh, I, feel I like this whole... really like the more serious Sonic cartoon. It was fucking weird. Oh, the uh, Sonic... Uh, what They always call it like Sonic Sat AM, I think is what it gets called. Yeah, whatever it was, you know, you can't really separate them because Jaleel Wyatt was the voice of both Sonics, but it was the, the one... The art where... is so different on them, though. Right, it was like the one that wasn't all fucked up and psychedelic. It was the one that actually looked really good, and he was like, you know, did you ever watch these, Watson? No, but can I do that? that <laughs> yeah, that guy. guy. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did the voice of Sonic in both of the cartoons. And oh, okay. so... One of the cartoons was really like the one Jerry's talking about. The 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 animation was really psychedelic for the backgrounds, and he would eat chili cheese dogs. It was more of a kid friendly kind of thing. In the other one, Sonic was like the leader of a resistance against Doctor Robotnik, and yeah. it and it was much more serious, and it was much more geared towards, you know, the the you know, the latter part of 10, 11, up into the teens. Wes Craven's new Sonic. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, you ever been stabbed in the eye by an eel? Shit, me neither. Um, oh, oh, she reaches in the hole. <laughs> uh, this whole generation now uses pills as breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. That That's all I really have for this movie. Uh, Cause I dropped my big, uh, my big thing earlier in there with uh, Wes Craven uh, being Freddy's conduit. Uh, and I really want to know what you guys think of, of the theories on Wes Craven and Robert England in this movie. Do you think we're right? Do you agree with us? Um, we want to know for sure. Um, with that being said... Um, Rex was the real hero here. Rex was the best i would have i mean he took one for the team did you see them slashes on him twice multiple times multiple times i mean he he was was the fucking hero got all up in the guts if we'd have considered him the hero i'd have gave him a 10 oh 100 oh yeah 10 yep yep i i i would i would fucking new line why don't you someone license us and fucking sell us a Rex plush. I want one. 
I would pay money for that. That'd be pretty cool. You know, Miko Hughes has actually got the uh, the sewed up Rex. Well, let's go kidnap him and take it. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's um, neat. Damn. Yeah, so uh, sometime, um, it, not in February. It'll be it'll be next month in March, most likely. We will be finishing the Horror Coliseum Freddy vs. Jason run, uh, where we will tackle the remakes. Um, as of right now, JP has planned to be on that one, so I will get with him and figure out when we're recording that. Uh, but that will be the last one. Uh, then we'll step away from Horror Corridor. Uh, no, that's the group I want to leave, not the show I want to stop doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll step away from Horror Coliseum for a, a little bit to kind of uh, just take a break from it, um, as we'll do with some some other kind of shows. We have uh, The Invisible Man coming up. I think that's uh, one of the next episodes for uh, Kill the Cast. Nice. We have uh, Godzilla 2000 coming up for Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, and we just dropped our Death Cap episode, which is filled with great one-liners by me. I was hilarious in that episode, uh, if I want to toot my own horn. Uh, and that movie's fucking weird. Uh, with that being said, Watson, what's uh, coming up? Yeah, I know I've talked to you a little bit about your mm-hmm. next episode that's coming up. Yeah. I wanna, uh, and you've said it publicly, so yep, let's, yep. Uh, let's tell the people what you got coming on your face. Yeah, well, you know, I, I really wanted to do – well, so this month in February, I'm going to try – between all my attempts to dive into video editing and I'm working on, you know, a little vlog that my son and I recorded months back of us feeding ducks and just trying to get good editing going. When, when I'm not working on that and trying to get better at that, I do this month want to put out an unprecedented two episodes in a month of Horror Corridor. And one of them will be because I don't believe in Valentine's Day. I think it's trash. And, and, and so I, I just want to do some kind of like crappy exploitative like exploitation films to sort of make fun of valentine's day because i don't think it has anything to do with love but but that's you i bought jerry a gift for valentine's day well i mean hey right right on i mean i'll probably have a good time on valentine's day but it won't have anything to do with love but like uh jerry that is not true you will probably love parts of her i i mean hey you know i do what i do because i do what i do but the 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 show that i told jerry about folks is uh I, i i wanted to have a classy discussion of a Serbian film. And I know it's a film that a lot of people believe is super vile and a lot of even, you know, fairly hardcore-ish fans won't watch that film on principle. But I wanted to have a discussion about it in kind of a classy way and do a walkthrough about the kind of the the uh, the political underpinnings of this film and why, you know, can horror go too far? And just ask these questions about this film and about just kind of other cursory, you know, kind of give a cursory discussion about other films that are considered to be vile and what makes a film acceptable now when it was banned back in the day. Just kind of have this open kind of, I don't know, just a respectful and classy discussion about infant rape. I don't know. What I do you think, Jerry? I have watched it. Well, you know I've, I've had the conversation yeah. and I've, uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to say anything that'll ruin it for um, – Kenneth, who has not watched it, uh, one day we will tackle a Serbian film on the sh- on the episode, whether Kenneth's there or not. It might just be me and Jay, but I'm hoping Kenneth will be there because I want his perspective on it. Uh, but the ending scene is by Ooh. far way worse than the mythical baby scene. But I agree. the the 
the question me and Kenneth have had have talked about and have conversated that I think is the more important question is what is worse a movie like a Serbian film or a movie about Ted Bundy where there are real life victims with real life family members who are still around to watch yes their uh loved one die again immortalized forever on the big screen for everyone to see is that not worse than uh, uh someone who is not real completely fictional uh dying on the on the screen right um, yeah so Absolutely. even if you have movies like Serbian film or the human centipede that are so violent evil and blah 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 is that worse than watching a movie based off of Ted Bundy or Richard Ramirez or uh you know uh fucking Zodiac um Kenneth and I've had this conversation multiple times um uh whether you look at the movie as glorifying or or not um there are family members to the people who died there are real life faces for for people to see i mean a perfect uh, a perfect example of it would be you know uh going back to ted bundy ted bundy killed over 30 women you know what i'm saying and at this current moment in time how many people in the world watch netflix how many people in the world have netflix what what do you say give or take uh, we just go to the united states how many people in the united states watch Millions. netflix give or take okay netflix is the biggest damn uh digital uh entertainment source in the united states for uh, uh via the internet it is the biggest and right now one of the top things at the, uh, for Netflix's quote unquote marquee at the top when you open the app is a fucking documentary on Ted Bundy. But I will say there to me there's a difference between a documentary and. But it's a the same thing because all this stuff, that, film. all this stuff that we got coming out right now is all hype based on that new movie. All this shit around around Ted Bundy is based on two things. Number one, this is this year was the 30th anniversary of his execution, and number two, that new movie coming out with Zac Efron in it. Yeah, which looks wonderful, and I can't wait to see it. Exactly, I'm with you. Um, but yeah, so when you talk about. When you talk about vile and evil and does horror go too far, does it do you even take into consideration what's fictional and what's based on real life? Does that even come into play or <clears throat> do you find a f- completely fake barely seen baby rape scene and think that's worse than a movie that has people that really that died in real life and it's being recreated on TV for people's enjoyment. My friend, we are of the same mind on this and I, I love how you just worded all that. Yeah. So, yep. And, and the ultimate, and, and the ultimate breakdown comes down to watch cannibal from 2006. Oh, God, that movie. And then go <laughs> listen to the kill the cast episode on it. Great show guys. And we can fucking get into it. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for Watson to drop this episode. Uh, right now, it's my most anticipated podcast oh, to fucking drop. Thank uh, you, yeah. It's a subject I'm heavily into. Same here, man. Um, 
Absolutely. And I love I love everything you said. And yeah, and I, I've had these conversations myself and, you know, and, and just, uh, you know, speaking to, you know, you've anticipated, you know, you're anticipating that show. And I, I just want to say that, you know, I know that one this episode you're going to do with JP, you know, in a month or so when you wrap up this whole Coliseum thing. I just want to speak really quickly to the idea that just I love what you guys are doing, what Kill the Cast is doing with Horror Coliseum, because it's a, a really good I guess, way to really promote your show in, in like your personal branding. Like, oh, we have our Horror Coliseum episodes and I love the format. And I know you, you Jerry, you were telling me, you know, behind the scenes, you know, you're going to sharpen up certain aspects of the format that you, you want to fix and right on. But I, I, it's a great way to catch viewers and or listeners rather, and just get people. I don't, I don't know. I love this format. And I think that kill the cast is very smart to have these episodes on the docket when you guys do. So kudos. Yes. Thank you. We, we do want horror Coliseum to be our flagship episodes. Um, nice. Okay, good. I, I would, I was and, about to say, oh, yep. We, between me, Kenneth and Jay, we, I have a huge list of horror. I have enough horror Coliseum episodes written down that we could finish out the rest of the year only doing horror coliseums. Oh, wow. Yeah, sweet. Um, I, like, Kenneth uh, has one for um, uh, Wrong Turn versus Hills Have Eyes remake. Oh, yes. That we will yeah. we'll probably end up doing this year, maybe some somewhere around the summer, get a little summertime hillbilly action. Um, there's one I really want to do with uh, Zodiac versus Black Dahlia murder. That's going to be so good. Which are both very high class. Um, David Fincher versus Brian De Palma serial killer action. Um, And and there's tons. I have a three-way I want to do of Anaconda, Lake Placid, and Deep Blue Sea. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) I've got... I have tons. Um, I've even got some classic horror movies I really want to do. Kill the cast listeners. Are you hearing this? This is is gold. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I have a gigantic uh, uh, note note in my phone that is just top to bottom. Anytime, anytime I come up with something remotely related to Kill the Cast, it goes in there. It's got just anything I can come up with in there. And, uh, and Jerry and I definitely have uh, – we've been talking over the past few weeks about throwing in some some really new and interesting content – um, oh, Watson knows about that. I told him about it. He knows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, right. I mean, for the you know, because I don't want to spoil anything for people that are listening, but you know, uh, for you guys out there, Jerry and I have got definitely have got some ideas for some really really kick ass content that's going to be coming soon. So uh, it's just we got to kind of iron out all the all the wrinkles. But other than that, yeah, we got trust me, we got some new stuff coming. Yeah, some stay diff- tuned, listeners. These guys, these guys got you. Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, I think it, I think it's about time to go because this is getting close to hitting three hours, and uh, oh. I would like this show to be shorter than the last time Watson was on. Yeah, uh, that would be fine. I got some know. Resident Evil two to get back at. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for continuing to go on this journey. Uh, shout out to Brandon. We're sorry he couldn't make it. We love still you. love him. Shout out to Jay who could not make it for medical reasons. Love we you. still love him. Um, shout out to Watson for stepping up and Mwah. fucking joining us for this. Mwah. Always a fucking pleasure with this motherfucker. Love you, um, Shout out to uh, Kenneth for you know 
being here doing his job. <laughs> yeah. You know, congrats. Yeah, um, thanks. Uh, I hope that I'm. Uh, I hope that I'm doing well at it. Yeah, uh, I think you are personally. Same here. Um, it's amazing so, how many people love my southern accent. It really is. People comment on it. They like it. Yeah. Thanks to hospitality. <laughs> Wait, yeah. you ought to come down here and hang out, man. I'll, I'll, one I'll, day, I'll, I'll, I'll overload you with some old southern. Uh, one day. <laughs> Just so you know, overloading with old southern either means you're going to get uh, SOS, which is uh, commonly called shit on a shingle, which is a uh, sausage uh, gravy on top of biscuits, or he's going to so come good. Fix one of the two. Oh, well, uh, either or. So, uh, yeah, that's it, guys. Thank you for joining us. We love you. Check out the Facebook group. Check out the Horror Corridor podcast. Check out the Horror Corridor uh, Facebook group. Always good times in there. Uh, whether it's people saying they want to leave this group Horror Corridor. You can buy mugs. And shirts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did, wait, did you really make mugs Jason and shirts? Lloyd, Jason Lloyd made a made a T public page. So you can buy, and I, I, I'm buying one tonight, uh, an I want to leave this group Horror Corridor mug, coffee mug. Oh my God, that yep. is fantastic. Um, <laughs> or you can catch me. Schooling people on the John Bonet Ramsey murder case. Oh yeah, because I be doing that shit. <laughs> shout out to Renee. Uh, uh, shout out to my boy Jan. He took it with stride and he learned from it, kind of. So <laughs> shout out to him. Yo, uh, you gotta link me to this conversation. Uh, I will see the last one. He deleted his post, but this was on my post, so I don't think he could have deleted it. So it's on there. I'll have to, I'll tag you. It's it's fucking great. Um, yeah, we're out. Thank you for joining us. I'm really bad at endings because I just fucking keep going on because I want to talk for fucking ever, but I can't do it. We're out. Uh, fucking live your life, love your life. Hail Satan. Uh, have sex with someone in the next month just because they deserve it. Just you know, turn uh, to quote Doug Stanhope, turn that that chip on their shoulder into a warm, salty paste.